Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about our friends at the Empanadas Box. The Empanadas Box is a small, family-owned restaurant owned by natives of Buenos Aires, Argentina, and they have Argentine-style empanadas with 22 other globally-inspired flavors available every single day. Looking for a suggestion? Well, how about the Oktoberfest empanada with bratwurst from LK Sausage? It also has cabbage, carrots, onion, and mustard that is only available in the month of September. Their empanadas are available for dine-in and carry-out, but the pro move here is to get a box of frozen ones to take home. You can also find them in your favorite food delivery app. You can check them out online at theempanadasbox.com or check the link down in the description. You can find more information there, including information on their catering options for lunches, parties, and more. And a special offer to listeners of the Postcast, well, they're offering 10% off your order at their Covington, Kentucky location if you mention the Postcast at checkout. They're at 212 West Pike Street in Covington, and I am happy to report that the staff there are incredibly nice and the Food is top notch. If you've been listening to the postcast, you know we've been talking these guys up well before they were a sponsor of the postcast. So again, special thanks to the Empanadas Box. Incredible folks there. And if you go to their Covington, Kentucky location, they'll get you 10% off for mentioning the postcast. Oh, we have a jam-packed episode for you on this one. We are talking about the 2-2 Philadelphia draw for the FC over the weekend. In part two, we do a little bit of table watching. Ooh, we're, we're taking a look at how the Supporters' Shield race is shaping up and shaking out for the last six to seven matches of the season. In part three, we are previewing the midweek match against CF Montreal. But before we dive into the episode, I do want to tell you we are running a special giveaway from the Empanadas box. If you like and retweet this episode, tagging your dream lunch date for the empanadas box. I want you to tag a friend of yours or maybe somebody you'd love to grab lunch with, eat some delicious empanadas with, tag them in your retweet on Twitter and you will be entered to win a $25 gift card to the empanadas box. We will announce the winner on our next episode. If you would like to enter, again, like the tweet announcing this podcast uh, episode when it goes up on Twitter or x.com, if you will. Like it, retweet it, tag the person that you would like to have lunch with. The quality of person you're tagging will not impact your chances of winning, uh, but we will send you a $25 gift card to the Empanadas box. And with that, that'll be your Cincy Postcast. Joining me to talk about all of that and more, I've got two gentlemen who also lived through the ups and downs of that Philadelphia Union match. I'm joined by the Chief. I'm joined by Grayson. And I want to start off with Chief. Thank you so much for filling in 
as a host, as a co-host, as a ho- I, I never know the relationship here. I've always sort of positioned <laughs> this as I am the host and, and you guys are, are also here, but it's not. So I don't know. But thank you for filling in there. Right. You took on the editing responsibilities and that's the main I mean, thing. <laughs> it's hard to say. I edited much based on how the podcast sounded for the two weeks. But uh, let's clap it up for Kevin. Kevin's back. Hey. Kevin returns from vacation. <laughs> um, Kevin, do you want to tell the people at home how many – uh, forcible amputations you saw on vacation? Maybe one, <laughs> which is more than you probably should see at Disney World. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I spent the last week in the magical part of uh, Kiss Me, Florida or whatever. Um, and yeah, so we, uh, we're at the Magic Kingdom. We're in line for the Pirates of the Caribbean, a classic dark ride from the Disney company. Uh, we are the next group up into the uh, into the boats. And I can't think of an equivalent ride at Kings Island if people have not experienced the Pirates of the Caribbean at uh, Disney World. But you ride in boats. The boats uh, are sort of on a track, but they do float in water. And as they come into the dock, you have about a half an inch of clearance between where the boat is and where like the dock, quote unquote, is. And I could see somebody getting a finger trapped in there for sure. Could you lose like your phone down this crack? Sure. When we walked up, the boats weren't moving anymore. And a uh, uh, what, what appeared to be, I can only judge based on appearances, an elderly woman's uh, entire upper thigh of her right leg and most of the left thigh was trapped between basically the middle of this boat and that gap. There is no way that that should be able to happen. It was uh, pretty gnarly. Wasn't making a sound. Was like fine. Like she wasn't like slumped over or anything, but like was awake, was alert, but like not screaming. I didn't see any blood, but uh, I did see a bunch of panicked employees calling 911, which like... This is Disney. You don't get the authorities involved unless you have to. Um, I just I just yeah. assume that there is a special number that you call at Disney that alerts the Disney medics that right. make sure that like the story doesn't escape Disney property, that they, whatever horrendous injury has happened. It's like, OK, we'll definitely make a full report to authorities as like some shadowy figure in the back puts out a cigarette and says no no <laughs> the, gives the uh, the caesar thumbs down yeah. and, and we never hear about it again um yeah i'm not entirely sure where things stand between the disney company and meatball ron DeSantis, but uh I think they are Disney police. They are actually calling, or at least a hundred percent of their funding comes from Disney taxes of some can, can sort. I, can, can I offer though <laughs> that if you're going to lose a leg, probably the best ride to lose it on is Pirates of the Caribbean. Because I'm betting there's a peg in the gift shop you can just buy. <laughs> the old the old uh, hook going on your hand if you manage to lose a hand on this ride. Yeah, Absolutely. you know they got you covered. You can they'll throw a peg on that bad boy. You can join the cast for the next season. It's amazing that Disney is able to like continue the uh, bloodless amputation like cross that over from from star wars into 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 the real world look they they are the masters of getting all of their properties all of their entities to hum together to sing from the same songbook and yeah it would not surprise me if we didn't get a pirates 
Star Wars crossover, and that wasn't a lightsaber that was amputating that woman's leg. Now, I don't be, know. Oh, yeah, please continue. To be clear, you you brought kids with you on this trip, right? Yes. So okay. uh, the uh, little, little peek behind the curtain, this was kids celebrating you're, the... Kids you're related to in some way, right? Right. Now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, ki- not just, not just yeah. random kids no, you found. Not, <laughs> now, because the authorities have called off the search, so <laughs> the real parents aren't looking for them any longer. Possession is I mean, nine-tenths the law. <laughs> we, we no we uh we we adopted our our foster children uh, a couple of months back and um yeah it's hard to manage to plan a 13 person disney world vacation so this was when we celebrated that and uh yeah no, the kids were there this was actually That's my a lot biggest of foster fear. kids you didn't you adopt like the whole von trapp family <laughs> We're singing. We got competitions to go to. We might escape to the Swiss Alps. Uh, no, uh, adopted two kids, but between grandparents and aunts and uncles and other uh, cousins of theirs, we we ended up with a grand total of thirteen people. When, uh, no, when this you were, was when yeah. you were there, though. Did you have any encounters with adult Disney people that were very upset at the number of kids that you were bringing with you? Most of the people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we go. Uh, we went in uh, obviously middle early September. Uh, however you want to quantify that really good for like not a lot of crowds really bad for like heat index of 105 but we're in like back to school mode for most people we're bad parents and took our kindergartner out for a week but um yeah so there weren't that many kids at least not as many as you might have expected running to a lot of a disney adults ran into this one they're doing like this after hours halloween party that started uh people lining up at like four that is a hundred percent adults and my god so wait, hold, wait time out time out, time out. there was an after hours halloween party in mid-september yeah, starts starts at six o'clock, goes until about one or two a.m. They have their own fireworks show and parades, and uh, yeah, it's like entirely populated by adults that go to this thing. I bet the people watching at the adult <laughs> Disney Halloween in mid September is just <laughs> off the charts. It are you required? Are you required to dress up like a Disney character for Disney After Hours Halloween, or is any costume oh. fair game? <clears throat> Are we ready to go down the rabbit hole? So, please. After you turn 13 years old, you are not allowed to dress up as a character. That is no bueno. If you're a child, you can. Uh, at you're the fine park. there. At the parks, yes. <laughs> but also, how, how, or, you know, <laughs> also in the world. <laughs> we don't kink shame on this podcast. That's right. so. true. That's true. You can dress up. But in the park, the the nightmare scenario for Disney is somebody confuses you with somebody as, you know, being a character in the park and you. Incidentally, this is also why this is also why Opie is banned from FC Cincinnati and TQL Stadium. Oh, my God. Okay, this is great. We can merge these two together. Uh, So what a lot of uh, the uh, the Disney adulting crowd does is they do what is called Disney bounding. And I'm not entirely sure the origin of bounding. And, And again, we don't kink shame on this podcast but continue but what you do is you dress up in the aesthetic of that character so if you wanted to disney bound as snow white you might wear a long yellow skirt a blue top and like i don't know something else but like you're sort of like reminiscent of snow white if somebody were to like i really i really hate this name yeah, no, I have a visceral really, reaction really, to really really Disney the bounding. There's something Disney bounding. Yeah, no, I, I, like, <laughs> in, in my chest, I don't like this. I you know don't it, either. You know what it kind of reminds me of? 
is and it kind of i guess it kind of is is that is when people um like find ways to force you to be involved in their thing like i like like yeah we don't we don't kink shame around here right no, no. but i I don't want to be involved in your thing without my without my consent. Right. And uh, certainly without and, and oftentimes, you know, without your foreknowledge. It's like um, right when uh, uh, there was like a city councilman. No, he wasn't a councilman. He was running for council in New York City. Okay. He was as marginal of a candidate as you can possibly get. Like. I think he ended up with single digit votes on this mm-hmm. thing, Ooh. raised no money, was not in the in the thing at all. And he had a a uh, a session of his with a dominatrix leaked, quote unquote leaked. Uh-huh. OK, uh-huh. and the suspicion I saw some people. Throw out there, which I buy is he leaked it himself. Because of his humiliation fetish. Yeah. yeah. So under undergo like the humiliation uh, of being like a politician whose tape leaks yeah. in the media. And I don't care if you have a humiliation <laughs> fetish. Right. I just don't. I don't want you to rope me into it. Right. And this is kind of Disney bounding is kind of doing that. It's in the ballpark. For sure. No, I I say we need to bring bring these two together because now I want to figure out how I can FCC bound as Opie. This is very important. We need to. I need to somehow express our our sad lion friend, but without dressing up as Opie, and then we can we can do this. Would um, Disney would Disney kick? You? I put a I put an image from his uh, leaked video in the chat. It's everything you would want to be and more. Um, this is from a Daily Mail article. Would I mean, Opie is humiliating? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't want that, if that. If that was a picture of me, I wouldn't want that out there. Like, what's the uh, what's the meme line? Even Batman couldn't get this secret out of me. Yeah. Um, would Opie be allowed at Disney World if you showed up in the Opie costume? I'm tending to believe no, but. I would just assume no. I think any full mascoted head covering is gonna be is gonna be hard to pull off. Do they do like? I assume the answer is no. Do they do like a do they do like a furry day at Disney though, so that people can feel included? No, I can get you close though. And I don't, I don't need to be close. <laughs> they do. They do like a, I, am. I do like a. a I, I'm gonna get the name wrong, but I think it's like a Dandy Dan Day, where you do like a 1940s like classic throwback day. But it's only it's like informal, but Disney kind of like goes along with it. But you dress so up like, like you're in so the like 40s. How, how close can we get here? Like like Disney adjacent properties. Like if you are dressed up <laughs> as like. A Jedi in the Magic Kingdom. Is that going to get you kicked out? So. I don't think so, but think about the logistics of this. You're wearing a pretty thick brown robe plus a tunic on what is essentially just black <laughs> black top and asphalt all day like be my guest like that's, if that's you go for it um but yeah i i don't know if i want to do that one 
What if you're a Hari Krishna? I don't think oh. you believe in Disney World. <laughs> well, you would be standing outside Disney and handing flowers out. You don't hand out flowers inside Disney. It's like in the parking lot. You you can't go to Disney if you're if you're Hari Krishna. I never heard no, of that. I, I think you could. I think you could. I saw plenty of uh, 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 say various religious headgear uh, there, so I think you'd be fine. Plus, a lot of those. You know, traditions coming out of the desert. There must be something to it, you know. So you, I'm, now I'm, I'm thinking of now I'm thinking of like somebody, um, like just like a teenage girl in a headscarf <laughs> getting kicked out because some employee thinks that she's dressing up like Kamala Khan. <laughs> right, but then they call the Disney nine one one, and nobody finds out about it because it gets reported to Disney internal police. And again, we have the man dressed up like Walt smoking a cigarette, going, "No, this goes no further than right here." <laughs> um, what about Disney bounding as like a verboten movie? Like, if you're Disney bounding as Song of the South, is that going to get you in trouble? That's a good question. I mean, Disney was clearly fine with I think Song they of have the to let that with their settlement with the state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they negotiated. The AG got that that little right. paragraph in. This is our history. You can't sanitize our history. That's rule number one. <laughs> oh, God. Uncle Remus. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, if you Disney bound as Uncle Remus, I've got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, I, I really do need a spectrum of like how close you can get to showing up as a Disney character at Disney. Disney before they're like, sir, you just we're not going to tolerate this. Like, is it like the is it like the Bailey where if you show up and you're too close that they have like a Mickey shirt that they just assigned to you? And you just throw that on over what you're wearing and it makes everything cool. Oh, that might be a clever way to get free merch because like it ain't cheap. Let me tell you, it's not it's not a cheap place to exist. Do they like let's let's go back to like the. Kamala Khan example. I like this. <laughs> if there's if there's a type of outfit that could be either religious or related mm. to a Disney property, do they inter do they interrogate that in any way? Do they find out like whether you have you truly hold that religious belief? Like I if like, you want to be a vegetarian in prison, I like it has this. to be like for religious reasons and not for like moral or nutritious reasons. <laughs> I like this idea. I'm trying to think like who in Disney movies could get you the most in trouble. And my mind is going to the Sultan in Aladdin. I feel like if you were an all white <laughs> turban and robes, you got a shot at making it through. You also got a shot at getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. So, did you? Was it just the uh, the Magic Kingdom, or did we do all the parks when we were oh, down there? Oh, we did. We did all the parks. We stayed on the property. We did. We did the Magic Kingdom twice. So you did the five day ticket. You hit Magic Kingdom twice. So all the kids get all all of their uh, their favorites out of the way. Um, yeah, I mean, we got we got we did the full experience. We. I, Build our own droids at the Star Wars land. You we know, did the Bibbidi Bobbidi. Oh, uh, did not do back. the lightsaber. Oh, Jack. $200 to build your own lightsaber with the whole ceremony yeah. and everything. Yeah. Can you, put a a price on, can you put a price on experiencing the coolest part of your childhood? It's like, <laughs> yes, I do want to have a lightsaber. About $200. Yeah, <laughs> about $200 about is the price on that. that <laughs> um, yeah. I loved I loved Disney World. Like, I've, I haven't been since I was like fourth grade maybe but Ooh. like the concept of this i have no desire to go back either but like the concept of disney world yeah awesome now 
even in light of, you know, the fights going on politically down in Florida and learning about all sorts of the fucked up political back and forth on that. Yep. Love adult Disney people. They're just a fascinating subset of American culture. And um, have we talked on this podcast? I think we might have at some point. The um, absolutely bananas original plan for Epcot Center. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> I think we I think we have. But, yeah, you know, maybe we have some some new listeners. So <laughs> Epcot, E-P-C-O-T, stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And the original plan for Disney World in Florida, because there was Disneyland in California, that was the first one. The original plan for Disney World in Florida was they bought all of this land in Orlando under a bunch of secret holding companies and LLCs that weren't immediately at least in the pre-internet age, t- identifiable as being owned by the Walt Disney Corporation. Yep. And the plan for all this land was that Disney World, the most happiest place on earth that Kevin spent way too much money time and watched a person lose a limb in, <laughs> was supposed to be like 5%, 6% of the total overall use of the land that they were buying. The actual rest of the land was supposed to be a brand new city in Florida that was designed (laughs) by Walt Disney himself uh, that was supposed to be this weird, almost like rapture from Bioshock or like some awful, like objectivist horror capitalist nightmare city where corporations would be lured to Florida to put second headquarters in the city of Epcot. And then their employees would work there and they would have a public transportation system run entirely by Disney. It was supposed to be designed in this circle of like the interior is the center of the city where all the corporations are. The outer ring is fun stuff to do. The habitat ring is outside of that where there's like houses that you go to. It's such like an evil genius plan <laughs> that that the, the, the people who developed Final Fantasy seven copied the design for Midgar, like the evil city at the start of the game. It's there's videos still online where Disney is ex- the old man before he croaked is explaining the plan for what Epcot was going to be. Oh, yeah. And he sounds like a James Bond villain the entire time. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I just once I just want somebody who gets rich and they just want to, like, make a product and sell it. But it's like, no, you can't just no. make some cartoons. Nope. You have to also set up your, like, eugenics You also have to like, like develop this like multi-generational plan for like selective breeding and perfecting the human race and and like being the ultimate like inheritors of the uh, right of the globe. Yeah. People are shocked at Elon Musk right now. No, this is is, this is so on brand for like the richest person in the world or one of the most influential people in the world at any given moment. He's just speed running like the, the playbook for from Walt, from like Henry Ford, from all these fucking weirdos. Well, you know, like uh, I'm not gonna get on. I'm not gonna get on that road, actually. Uh, but you know, it's it's funny you bring that up because like it is super villain stuff, and it's like under normal circumstances, if if you find out like some corporation has like its own section of the country where it just it's the government, 
Right. And the corporation has like its own police and makes its own laws. Right. Um, that would be something that I would not very much support or like. But then you throw in like, but all it takes is like Ron DeSantis doing his thing. <laughs> yep. And then I'm like, no, Disney should get to do whatever they want to. It's <laughs> my should favorite be able to thing. kill anybody. That's, yes. all, that's, all, that's, that's on their property. You know what? Carve no it out. It, sh- it should be its own state. It should get senators. <laughs> it should get state reps. Like, yeah, we're going to do this. It is so funny watching that, that happen. Because that's exactly, exactly what happens. It's the Reedy Creek uh, Development Zone or whatever is the legal entity that Disney owns functionally because of uh, an arrangement that they have with the Florida government. Florida has multiple versions of this. Disney's the most famous, the most forward. Um, But yeah, like Disney runs the fire department, but also like runs one of the most robust public transit systems with their busing and monorail network and uh, things like that. Yeah, it's just so funny to be like, oh, yeah, the the corporate city. I hate that. The left should all hate that. And then, yeah, Ron DeSantis picks a fight and I wish everybody it is I, reading I wish, Anne Rand. I, wish this, like, <laughs> I watched this video on YouTube a few years ago, and all I could think of was I I want to peek into that world where like <laughs> he didn't die because he was a five pack a day smoker. Yeah. And like he somehow bullied the shareholders into building this. I I desperately want to live in that reality for like a day just to see what Disney corporate Epcot City looks like. <laughs> want to know really, so, really badly. The two things with that one is they did kind of do it half heartedly in Celebration, Florida, which some people will have heard of. That was the Disney planned community that was sort of the yeah, you know, sad remnants of the idea that they left over. Still around. It's kind of like a planned community like Marymount was, but um yeah, a lot more Disney in control of that. Did uh, you know uh, you know Prince yeah. Charles has his own like town that he like owns? Charlestown. Oh. And like or I guess he's King <laughs> it's in Charles. Boston. Now. It's in Massachusetts. I guess he's I've King heard. Charles. I forget what it's called, but it's like this just Ooh. this little town. Everybody's got like like they have to they have to follow like his rules and he's, he's like approval over like everybody who who lives there and it's there. like you have to keep your you have to keep your lawn like perfectly God, manicured and it's like incredible oh, we need like a new flower shop so we're gonna find some guy to come in he's gonna be like our florist and there's gonna be like nice flowers and plants all over the place and it's gonna be just perfectly like pleasant and not like a you know not a hair out of right. place yes does he does i'm so, he visit bo- I'm so often? bored with i'm so bored with life right now i want to live here i want to live in epcot <laughs> i want to live in the king's city just fuck like i'm so done with the stupid fights we have and like the nonsense about like oh we're gonna talk about like road calming and traffic calming i want to live in a city or a town where the biggest thing is the king decrees that no longer will this beer be sold only this beer must be sold i'm like ah and then everybody just goes with it that sounds that sounds phenomenal i want i want a place where that those are the problems they say the people yearn for freedom but maybe the people just really yearn for to to be told what to do stability for 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 a dictator I, I want that. I want I want one of these supervillains to win too. Like Disney didn't build Epcot. I need Elon to get to Mars. Like I need him to do that. I need just one of these crazy rich people. I want one of their schemes to win. Like I just you know, it's no fun when the it, heroes win all the time. Like life is, is it boring. Like, 
isn't like is it Doctor Doom or like Black Adam where like the country they run is like Latveria, I think it's perfectly, Doom. perfectly run and, and the people are happy and they like love their supervillain overlord because you know they have just nice safe lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trains I, run on time, all the good stuff. I uh no, Chief, as you pointed that out about the long history of the wealthiest among us doing bizarre projects. Mm-hmm. I am realizing <laughs> This, this might get me in trouble too. Uh, isn't that just like what Saudi Arabia is? It's yes. just like the richest people set up a thing where they yes, get to Kevin, keep being the Ke- richest. This is, this is Kevin Wallace's <laughs> opinion. Yes. And if he <laughs> finds himself in a trash bag tomorrow, look, <laughs> look you know, this, this is a, this is just an opinion Kevin holds. We're always open to new information. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to educate us, yeah. maybe bring us over there. Yeah. You show us around a little bit. Pay us some money to sponsor the pod. <laughs> Next week in the cold open, it's welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'd like to tell you about our sponsorship, the Public Investment Fund. And folks, <laughs> the Public Investment Fund is making big changes to modernize and for, change everything you think about Saudi Arabia. They had us over there. It was great. We spent a few weeks being educated about what happened. Let me tell you about Vision 2040. <laughs> what, what would you what would you say if I told you we were going to just all live in one long hundred mile straight line? Look, say what you will about Walt Disney. He at least had the foresight to put his city in something of a cohesive shape like a circle instead of a line. Brother, you ask anyone in geometry. It's just we're just debating over what what, what shape you want right here. You know, they say Saudi Arabia is is, is desert, but, you know, it's it, it, it's got some really nice golf courses. Yeah. Yeah, some some nice Formula One tracks. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That was that was my Disney experience. So. See, we're just oh. doing this because Kevin missed all the fun of the international break episodes where we had to I fill did. time. So I did. <laughs> I, I really missed it. No, I will tell you um, in my attempts to listen back and I will be honest i wasn't able to get a hundred percent completion on those past two episodes i've been very preoccupied up to this point i always get a hundred percent completion a i i can still do it by the time i publish okay but why (laughs) Um, would you (laughs) oh my favorite moment though was with pat brennan um you guys right before we 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 you launched into the discussion on Oktoberfest. Uh Gracing, you mentioned to Pat that you would not be able to partake in, in uh Oktoberfest, that you'd be in Philadelphia. And the most postcast question ever comes out of Pat's mouth, which is, Oh, for the game? Which I absolutely <laughs> love. That there's a decent chance you would go to Philadelphia, Grayson, and not actually attend the FC match. <laughs> Yeah, I nah, really this like should be around. <laughs> I was able to link up with Pat uh, after, the, after the game last night. Um, there's like one brewery um, mm. really close to the to the soccer stadium, and I went there before and after, and um, it was it was great. You know, I would say like I wish there was more around the stadium. Sure, but uh, struck up a lot of conversations with 
Philly fans who came up to me, they were very, very nice and welcoming. Uh, one guy had actually, it turned, we, I don't know how we got to this conversation, but it turned out like we had actually already interacted on Twitter because he tried <laughs> to like give me advice about how, how to get to like the, how to get to the uh, uh, baseball stadium oh, in Philly. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's pain in the ass to get to the stadium. For sure. Right. If you're in Philadelphia, right. If you're in Philadelphia, it's a good 30 minute uh, Uber at least. And then um, the train doesn't really go close to the stadium. That was my question. Is is there a train there? 25 minute walk through Mm. what they describe as like a not very good area. Um, That's just what people have told me. Right. That was just what everyone was saying about it. I don't know firsthand because I didn't really get out into into chester right uh beyond the beyond the also, brewery it's, but it's, it's also kind of rude to ask people when you're walking through it's like hey is this a bad neighborhood <laughs> right should i be doing this are you yeah. guys am i gonna get mugged by you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that uh that area around the stadium if i remember correctly jay sugarman is the owner was the owner um that dude like lost most of his net worth in the uh, 2009 housing crisis, and they had these grand plans of developing all along the riverbank and everything. And it just they built the stadium and then ran out of money like right after the stadium yeah, was built. What, what what one of the Philly fans told me was that because the team is still planning to um, build a bunch of stuff itself around Mm. the stadium it hasn't done and this is just coming from a philly fan okay um it hasn't done a lot to support like that brewery for example or like support other businesses that might be in there to to enhance the 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 atmosphere around i mean it seems like i mean it doesn't didn't seem like uh the move it seems is to to tailgate yeah for, like they all they all tailgate the game um it's not my it's not my preferred experience <laughs> right no. No, because we, we like learned that pro- in columbus yeah <laughs> so you have to like drive um, and pack your shit up and somebody has to stay sober enough to get the car out of the parking lot and that's just that's yeah. not my jam yeah but um i would highly recommend anybody who hasn't made the trip out to philly to go um crowd was crowd was into it like it was good yeah, atmosphere um i mentioned that underlying sense of menace <laughs> it was a type of crowd where i was like i'm not gonna cheer or <laughs> yell or do anything no one's doing anything at me but what they're saying is very loud <laughs> and very violent <laughs> um but uh but like I said, everybody I interacted with personally was was great. And they were actually a little apologetic. Like everybody was like, was like, yeah, we're not Eagles fans. <laughs> <laughs> and they, then they would say, like, I mean, we are Eagles fans, but you know what I mean. We're not, like we're those, not, we're not those, those Eagles, Eagles fans. fans. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that that's 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 accurate. Um, not a lot of pole climbers in that group, huh? Battery no. throwers. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Santa haters. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. 
Chief, how did you I watch do. the game? We know how we know how Grace will watch, and I I, I set this up because I had a, I had an amazing story watching. Oh wait, this wait, game. wait! Sorry. Oh please. One, one other thing I want to say about the Philly fans. Um, I've, I've always held this opinion, but it was just I was thinking of it when I was listening to what they were yelling about and what they were saying to each other. There has always been a segment of FC Cincinnati fans that I think is a little embarrassed to be a fan. Sure. And is overly apologetic or overly, um, let's say, like they try too hard to appear like objective and neutral uh, yeah, yeah. on stuff. So they're like ready and willing to just like say that, like, oh, Barrial is did not the commit best. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. commit a handball when the by letter of the rule he did not. Right. right. Um, and the Philly fans. They had no such reservations. Good. And so like, Good. I just want to say, I just want to take the opportunity to say, I think we've said it before. We'll probably say it again. You don't owe it to anybody. No. To like agree with like their take to buy into their argument for a call that didn't go FC Cincinnati's way or that an FC Cincinnati player was like the instigator in a situation or whatever. Like, you don't you can just look at the game as a fan. Yes. And that's fine. Back your guys, back your team. Yeah. Yes. Don't apologize. Like, was it a clear handball? God damn, you're right. It wasn't. No. <laughs> like, was that ball across the line? Absolutely not. I'm going to do my own research. I don't care what the video says. <laughs> right. right. Um, also, to your point on the menace thing, I was thinking about this today, independent of that, because a um, friend of the podcast and uh, host Discord member, uh, Mark Schwaikowski, Schwai of Jim Trace and the Makers, is over across the pond right now with his yes. uh, girlfriend. Big Arsenal fan, huge Arsenal fan. His only opportunity to see Arsenal was going to an away game that they play at uh, played at Everton today at Goodison Park. And so he got tickets through, like, I think an acquaintance that he knows that lives over there. And the marching orders were, okay, I've got you tickets. Let me explain some shit to you that's different <laughs> about how things work here. Your first stop that morning is to a shop to buy some Everton gear so that you blend into the crowd. You are not to cheer for Arsenal. You are not to give any outward signs that you're supporting Arsenal. The best that you should do is sit there quietly, because if you don't, you will be lucky if security gets to you first to escort you out of the stadium. That's the kind of environment I want at an FC Cincinnati game. I want an environment where you can come down and buy tickets from Columbus, but there is a worry if you're sitting in the stadium outside of their little protected area that the night might not go so well for you. I'm not advocating for anyone to get stabbed. I'm not Kevin here. But that underlying sense of menace that we're describing here, I think that makes for a much, much better sports watching, envi sports watching environment for everyone in the crowd. The second sports watching reference. <laughs> can we get three <laughs> hit us up public investment fund let's do this mbs hit me with your best offer oh my god um no i i'll i'll just tell this story i uh we're, we're flying back yesterday flights taken off at seven o'clock Orlando to Cincinnati, which basically is going to mean the entire length of this match. I will be in the air, uh, which was super frustrating. Uh, thankfully, it was Delta had, I, I guess, 
2008's best internet service on this plane, which was lovely. And uh, yeah, I got to watch this game in uh, you know 280p. It was nice to get back to like YouTube's roots and how these games were presented. Right. And uh, behind me, one row and across the aisle from me. So really one of the, the easiest people to talk to and interact with on the plane as I was also on an aisle seat was one Nick from soccer and dear Aww. listeners from KLR days. Well, remember, Nick, Hell yeah. saw this guy waiting at the gate in an Ope shirt, and I'm talking the original Ope shirt, and I thought, there's a very good chance I know this person just <laughs> based on that shirt alone. It was Nick, and it was incredible. He's watching the game. I'm watching the game, of course. We're in radically different points of the game because the internet is very spotty for us. Uh, but I will say, and we'll obviously go through the game here, but when Bupenza's goal went in, we fist bumped in as we fist bumped, the plane landed. It was like the exact moment we fist bumped, the, the tires hit the ground. It was such a cool, dare I say, magical moment in FCC world that that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Just the most Cincinnati thing ever that, of course, you would know somebody else on the flight back to Cincinnati. And yeah, so shout out to, to Nick for, uh, for, for, I don't know, the fist bump there. That was great. It was a good experience. And, uh, and since there's no other natural way to insert this, hey, fuck you, Delta. Fuck you on the sky. My house changes. I'm so <laughs> yeah. I'm still angry about this, but I want to. We're, we're already way off topic on this. Um, I should have paid twenty five thousand dollars, I guess. To yeah, get the no, upgraded yeah. Internet. So. One hundred and twenty thousand dollars a card spend to get any sort of status. Now you kiss my ass. Can I pay my mortgage? Yeah. With my taking my talent, card? taking my talents to frontier. <laughs> fuck you. Um. So yeah, that's cool. what a Good. game. Yeah, huh? Nick. Yeah, Nick yeah. from soccer. That's a blast in the past. And and what a game. Uh <laughs> what what a tale. What a tale of two halves, I'll say. Yeah. I uh I think there's a lot to unpack with this game. It was a wild game. It yeah, like we talk about FCC having gone through like three seasons this season. This really did feel like three games, four games, even within the course of this game. Uh, but before we dive into it, I will go through the starting 11. Plenty of things to pick at here. Uh, Roman Celentano in goal. As as we as we knew would happen, Mosquera, Miazga, Hagland is your back line first choice. At least going into this game, Barial and Arias out wide. Moreno, Wobodo in the midfield with Yuya Kubo in front of them in that ten roll. Brandon Vasquez up top alongside Sergio Santos. So going into this one, we knew Lucha was suspended. Yellow card accumulation, of course. Uh, this little. Worried or a little question mark on whether or not Moreno or Arias would make it. Of course, that looked clearer and clearer as the week went on. Sergio Santos up top instead of Baji, instead of Aaron Bupenza. Grayson, again, was it foolish to maybe think Aaron Bupenza could have been here? Or maybe even foolish to think Dom Baji should have gotten the start here. So it came out, I think, after the game that Bupenza got to Philly at 1 30 p.m the goodness. day of the day of the game <laughs> goodness um so obviously had he hadn't been in training at all that yeah, week I mean, maybe he went on a run or something <laughs> well he was gone but um but he obviously hadn't been with the team and yeah um i don't think he was ever going to start no um yeah i and especially looking back 
at how the game went. You know, I got to wonder if Don Baji is not the better person to start over Santos. If, mm-hmm. if Bupenza can't go. Yep. Yeah. That's the, so I wasn't with Aaron Bupenza, like Noonan's philosophy is very clear at this point that if you are not training yeah. for at least a, a day, two days prior to match, even if the match is a Saturday and you are not a full participant in training by Wednesday, the best you are going to get is time off the bench. It's just, I don't know yeah. what their weekly practice schedule is in terms of when their installs are for various tactical things that they're emphasizing for the week or whatever it is. But if mm-hmm. you're not training by Wednesday, I, I can't recall the last time a player was out of training Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and somehow still made the start and got the full run on a Saturday. <laughs> so um, that was yeah. that was surprising. Yeah, I think there's also I think there's also a particular. Cons- particularly conservative ap- approach with Bupenza mm-hmm. um, that not to not to push anything at this point. So like if he did get a knock, maybe he can go. But, you know, we're on the road in Atlanta. Right. On turf. Right. Because right. I think I think it's probably true that. Any setbacks are potentially disastrous, right? Mm-hmm. With like, the, so few games left and how tight our schedule gets from yeah. this point. It's it would be way worse to 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 have a setback or to actually get him hurt, you know? Yeah. Than it is to to take some time easing him in. Yeah. And like yeah. the good thing about Papenza was that um we found out after we recorded on Wednesday with Pat that much of what was going on with Aaron was understood and known by the team that he was taking some time to visit his family. And I know there were a lot of hot takes about this online about, you know, whether or not it's right that he's doing that. Given the political situation in Gabon and what's going on there, I have less than zero problem with the team giving Aaron an opportunity to go see his family, make sure everything is okay over there. yeah, no, I think that that's that falls under the level of man management and just player management that I think is yeah. such an underrated aspect of dealing with a club that has personalities and representatives from dozens of different countries. And just I, if you have a problem We've, with that, you, there that's a you problem. That's not a yeah. rational take and, to have. And I know his game wasn't in Gabon, but it was certainly a lot closer than Cincinnati. Right. right, right. Like Africa is a big country and all that or big continent and all that. But <laughs> but so it's not like, you know, you're in Africa, so you might as well just like pop over to another African country. Like, I understand right. it's like not the easiest thing, but, you know, it's so easier. Be easier. Yeah. And we've had en- we've seen enough. Enough evidence of like how hard it is for. These guys to come mm-hmm. play in the U.S. for the first time especially when they're from a country that there aren't a lot of their compatriots in the league, certainly not on the team. Yeah. Um, folks who also have language issues, you know, like surprisingly, I think the only other French speaker on the team is Dom- Dominic Baji. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've seen Bupenza speak some English, 
Um, but it's clear that at least publicly, he's not super comfortable relying on it entirely. Yeah. Like he's less comfortable than like Yersin Mascara, who has been living in England for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so if if he needed to take some time to visit his family, go home, you know, that that could also energize you, right? Yeah. In a way that um flying to Africa and then back to Cincinnati, where you're probably still living like a fairly uh I don't want to say lonely, but you know, you're probably you're yeah. like kind of a little bit of a separated existence. Like I think about Jurgen Lakadia. Yeah. When he came over here and was living downtown like during COVID. Um Reggaeton. Like I, I yeah, Reggaeton left because yeah. he couldn't adjust, you know, to living in the US. Um so um we're hopefully playing a long game with with Bupenza. Yeah. I think there's times where it's like we need you this game, so I'm gonna need you to push through whatever you're you're personally dealing with and show up and, and fight for the team. But there's other times where, you know, for your personal well being, yeah, um, we're gonna be accommodating. And yeah. I if that's we don't have a ton of details on that, right? But this is but the the picture that is being painted publicly is that you know the team was was being accommodating and right and you know assisting him with with spending some time at home this week and you know he certainly seemed to be enjoying himself (laughs) it worked whatever it was it worked uh chief here i'll i'll offer you this hot take uh i'll go the opposite direction and say uh carl linder's private plane can fly transatlantic flights does have room for more than two people should we not have gotten bupenza's family out of gabon and applied for refugee status with I don't know, another co-owner who happens to be a uh, an ambassador to another African nation helping work the uh, the wheels on the State Department and get his family out of there and, and not have to do the whole Waboto thing for a year trying to maybe see if we can get a friends and family visa. I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't hate the idea that Bupenza was late because he was smuggling his entire family out on Carl's plane. <laughs> I'm here for that take if it's there. If that's if we later find out there was some clandestine operation, some Argo type CIA plot yes. <laughs> to get his family out. I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. No, and yeah, I mean, I can understand people's frustrations of like, hey, we paid a lot of money for this guy. Like, this is one of the games you'd really want him to be here, especially with Lucha being out. Um, but yeah, like with everything going on, I can, I could, you know, you don't want to be the team telling this guy, no, he can't go see his family in what is probably the only opportunity to do so until the end of the year, especially now with Gabon uh, out of that tournament now. Um, so. That sets us up, and I still think, I still think, and I agree with you, uh, Grayson, this game bore it out, but Baji when healthy is better than Santos right now. Like, I'm happy to be proven lo- wrong later with more evidence, but I thought going into this game, that was the case. After this game, I feel even more entrenched in that position. I would like to see Baji starting if one of Vasquez or Bupenza cannot um but it does seem like the rule yes is yes. you miss a lot of time 
you slowly come back. Yeah. Your first game back. We've even we've even seen him do this with Lucho. Yeah. yeah. Um, your first game back, you're a sub. Yeah. Arius has certainly done this a, a number of times this year of going away from the team and coming back slowly. I will say too, uh, and we'll definitely talk more about his performance as this goes on, but Yuya Kubo certainly looked like a capable backup 10 in MLS. We we have talked about how MLS roster rules don't allow it, and Kubo certainly being paid plenty uh, here, but certainly looked like a solid number 10, and his his role is slightly different than Lucho. He's a very different player. But, like, but, he, much, he, but much like Lucho, why Lucho is such an effective 10 Mm-hmm. Number one is that he has just an incredible vision for the field, which you're not going to replicate that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's almost like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes esque, where he just sees and processes the game so much faster than other players do, which makes him more able to make anticipatory passes or know where the yeah. game is flowing to. You can't replicate that. But what Kubo does replicate a little bit is that. Lucho is a tactical nightmare for other teams because he drifts all over the field into different roles. And you will see him over the course of the game get advanced into a striker's role while other players drop back into the midfield and he's more advanced. You will see him overload one side of the field uh, with Barial specifically and almost take on the wing back role as Barial or Arias drifts in more centrally. Um, he's even dropped back from time to time and yep. allowed Moreno or Wobodo to push forward into a more attacking role. And what Kubo lacks in that that you know field awareness, field vision, incredible passing skill, he does have that ability because he's a winger by trade who spent an entire year playing defensive mid yep. um, and is a goal scorer by his nature. That ability to, okay, you're playing the 10, but you saw in this game, Kubo moved all over the field yeah, and just created havoc in terms of who was matching up with him at any given moment. And that's a wrinkle I hadn't seen from him before when they've asked him to fill in in this attacking midfield role. And it was very, very effective. I really liked it. Yeah. No, it it really worked. And it felt like, you know, for years now, we haven't had a solid plan B on what to do if Lucho is out. And we've tried this before, but this is the first time it really looks like it worked and that this is indeed the plan B, which is Kubo fills in there. I I had speculated uh, before that maybe uh, Marco Angulo takes that role or maybe they push up Wobodo and have Angulo behind him somewhere like that. But no, I mean, Kubo did a, a serviceable job. Yeah, if Kubo was as good as Lucho, this would be a very different team. Uh, but for for the way this this shook out, it it wasn't too it also, bad. It also it set up well for for Kubo to do this because at the end of the day, this was FC Cincinnati playing itself to a certain extent. There are two yeah. teams that really want to do the same sort of thing in terms of how they play, how they possess. And Philly was doing the FC Cincinnati thing. They were very content to let FC Cincinnati have the possession to move the ball and pick and choose their spots to go forward on the counter. And so as a result, 
it allowed Kubo to be effective because he was being offered probably more space than other teams are going to give him in those types of situations. There wasn't, you know, Philly pressed selectively, but there wasn't an all out intensive press effort from Philadelphia. The midfield, there was room to operate sort of in the center quadrant of the field and Philly's sort of tactics in this game. If you can claim that was that they were going to own the wings they were going to own wide and they were going to force Cincinnati to play centrally and stay centrally and play route one. So Philly was always, there was always an idea that Philly was going to get wider and box Cincinnati into the center and then funnel them back for a counterattack. But I mean, we're going to get to, I'm sure here in a second, the, uh, the goal that the first goal that Philly scores, but for the first like 20 minutes of this game, I thought Cincinnati looked really good. I thought they, they were composed they were controlled in their movement and they were controlled in their passing. They uh, they moved the ball effectively. And I was wa- as as I watched this game, I thought we were in it possibly for all three, just based on how the first 20 minutes went. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the first minute Philly had a fantastic opportunity, drove the ball right into our box. And then after that, yeah, first 15, 20 minutes was the most back and forth, free flowing soccer I think we've seen all season, except for maybe the first 20 minutes of that Orlando game uh, at home a couple of weeks ago. Like this was a really good game game to start us off with and yeah absolutely I I think FCC was certainly on the front foot for the majority of that uh that opening uh you know 20 minutes or so um and that's what makes the first goal so frustrating uh Martinez one of the uh best uh defensive midfielders in the league probably somebody that uh, Woboda was brought in to emulate on this team from a Noonan and Albright's perspective. And he finds himself with acres of space uh, just outside of the box at the top of the box there and uh, just hits hits a hell of a shot into the the low corner there. Roman can't get to it. You have to know that Martinez is going to is going to let those shots off. And it's like, I think, yeah, the only goals he's ever scored in MLS Yes. are long range shots like that. It's just it's discouraging it's, to see how much space he was given, especially yeah, so much earlier in the game. And, you know, Philly. In the second half. Did a much better job because you, you could see Kubo Moreno. And I know I'm jumping in, jumping the gun a little bit here and Bupenza mm-hmm. all really, really trying to get open for a shot at the top of the box. Yes, but there was always <laughs> a Philly defender stepping up. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 and he, they would get space for like maybe a second and immediately it would get, it would get filled. Yeah. We spent a lot of our time on offense and that, and that attacking third cycling through guys desperately trying to get an open shot at the top of the box and it's just never coming or the, which, the ball is, getting stolen away. Yeah. Which is funny because we've been on this team for weeks about you don't always need to make the perfect through pass. Sometimes you just need to blast it at the goal and see something happen. And they kept trying to blast it at the goal. Just never there for him. So, so this first goal, um, it's, it's worth pointing out for here that this yeah. is the start of what is, what I would say, and you guys feel free to disagree with me if you, you think I'm off base on this was clearly the worst 45 minutes of soccer Matt Miazga has played 
all year for FC Cincinnati. Oh, that's... I mean, his battle with Gazdog was intense. I mean, the first five minutes, I'm surprised both of them escaped without yellow cards. They, so here, they did eventually, it, but... <laughs> here, here's the reason why I say that. So right here in this moment, he's mm-hmm. playing well up until this point, I thought. Okay. But if you go back and you watch this goal, yeah. he is clearly out of position and doesn't make the effort to step up and close the space down uh, yep. between the shooter and the goal. And I, yeah, he's I way, s- way far back in the box. There's a run going to the uh, far post that is already being covered, I think, by Mascara. Mm-hmm. And his not stepping up leaves, just like you said, just an, an absurd amount of space. Yeah. And yes, it's a low percentage shot. Whenever you shoot from that far out, you're only going to make one in 10. Two and ten. Most of the time, you like those odds. That's what you want somebody doing is taking that shot versus moving for a better shot. But Miazka's, you have to step up and contest it. If you don't contest it, you're basically conceding a free kick with no wall. And and most professionals can make a free kick from right there if there's no one that is rushing at them, hurrying their shot, or forcing them to do something that causes something to go off guard. So this this first goal is, I, I think it's on Matt Miazga, if it's on somebody. And then from this point in the, in the game, he starts to lose his cool a little bit in terms of he's involved in way too much extracurricular shit from this point forward, even by yeah. Matt Miazga's standard. Well, his yellow yeah. card came before the goal, I believe. Yeah. It did, but it's it, him and Gazdag had this battle, and this is why, Chief. I agree with you. I think I think it's fair to blame this on Miazga. I'd be willing to give. I mean, if you want to talk about the post's official, unofficial assist to the game, I'll give an assist to Gazdag on this one because he was in Miazga's head so much that Miazga thinks he is also Mark Gazdag when he's clearly Moreno's man. And somewhere, like if you wanted to be very charitable to Miazga, you'd say Moreno and Miazga were just like not communicating as to who was covering Gazdog there. One of them should have stepped up. You could argue the defensive midfielder should have been the one, say, deeper into the midfield there. But yeah, it's it's clearly Miazga is not tracking Martinez. He's looking at what Gazdog is doing and marking the space there instead of the man who eventually gets the ball. Absolutely. And yeah, that like I sent out a sarcastic tweet that like Matt Miazga's fiery Latino temper makes him not captain material. <laughs> I, I make that joke because I've heard people make comments about Lucho uh, about that, which is a fairly racist comment to be making about uh, I Lucho. Say, I wouldn't include fairly. It's just a racist <laughs> yeah, comment. Straight yeah. racist. Yeah. Right. And especially when the. The alternative the, is Matt the, the alternative always presented is Miazga, <laughs> right. who is very may have a worse temper. Who may have a worse temper than Lucho? I think he does. I, I think, think he, he does. loses. I think he does stuff. He loses way side more of the often yeah. that are purely reactive yeah. and getting baited into doing stupid things than Lucha. Like Lucha is very demonstrative, yeah. right? And he does like yell and stuff, but. It's. It doesn't seem to happen as often, though, that he actually gets baited into doing something really stupid. Right. Right. If he pushes stuff. Right. And sometimes he pushes stuff. Yeah. A little too far. Um, but Miazga got like what happened with his yellow card 
was Gazdog had picked up picked up the ball, and it was our free kick. Yeah. Uh, which Mamiazga has gotten more yellow cards when it's our free kick <laughs> right. yeah. from dead ball situations where we like have already won the foul. Nobody, yeah. Like like so so Gazdag's walking away with the ball. Miazga goes up, punches the ball out. Maybe also contacts Gazdag a little bit. It was soft. No nowhere near his face. Right. Gazdag goes down and he's holding his face and he's screaming and crying. They review this for violent Conduct. Yeah, they reviewed yeah. it for a red Which card. Is, yeah, that's insane to me. And and not only that, when, it, when it's so clearly simulation, right, on the part of Gazdog. Yeah, and I yeah, and I'll give the ref credit. He did see Gazdog being an instigator in a lot of this as well. Like I, I feel like Miazg and him both got told off by the ref enough times, and and, and what. And let me but, be yeah. clear too, but like. This is why Matt Miazga is also one of the best defenders yes, in MLS yes. is this edge <laughs> that he plays with. He's like he's Mr. Furious from Mystery Men. His power comes from his boundless rage. Like this is why you pay him the money. This is why he's so good. But much like the things that you have to sort of accept with Lucho. Yeah. You also have to accept it with Miazga that occasionally when you ride the edge like that, you're going to put a toe over the wrong side of it. And just things are going to spiral out of control. And he's very, very good at channeling that emotion on the field into exceptional play. But in this game, I think that just the moment with Gazdogs, the 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 what was going on, what this game meant, coming off a long break. This is a big game on the table. Yeah. And I think the the moment got a little too big for him. And I think that he in that first half and he righted the ship in the second half. I mm-hmm. thought he had a very, very strong second half after he, he got did. into the locker room and cooled down a little bit. But you have all these extracurriculars. You have him barking at the ref. You have him picking up a yellow from a dead ball situation again. He doesn't step up to concede, uh, to contest the goal. And then 10 minutes later, yeah. 15 minutes later, he is the only person not maintaining the integrity on the line. Everybody else is is playing a high a higher line than he is. Yeah, he is mm-hmm. keeping the attacker on side for an over the top ball, and yet ultimately it's a PK because Celentano kind of makes a meal of his save attempt, but he's only put in that position because Miazga is playing the man on side by not being in line with the rest of the back line. And it's just, it's that lack of focus. And what's, what's fucking frustrating about it is that the only real two chances that Philly had, well, they have, they have three, but their, their two goals came from two singular moments of just mental lapses. Yeah. From an otherwise decently strong first half from FC Cincinnati. Yeah. And, and Philly, Philly is so good at, at the little the little dirty tricks, the little dark arts, the little mind games. Yeah. Like, it, I, you, I was noticing it. I was noticing stuff that I just really never noticed in prior games. Like, for example, like Harriel. Um, when, like several times okay ball went out of bounds and um like one time and he would he would do some uh so like one time for example uh it was our goal kick ball out of bounds Celentano 
grabbed the ball behind the goal and was getting ready to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And while Celentano was grabbing the ball, Harriel brought the ball that had gone out of bounds, put it just over the line inbounds <laughs> and like stepped on it and walked away. Right. And like now there's two balls on the on the field and we can't take the goal kick quickly. Right. You know, and it's just it was like shit like that. That's like or the old you standing in front of the kiss standing in front of the ball when you're about to take a free kick and then yeah. like forcing the ref to move you back and just wasting a little bit more time doing that. They did a lot of that yeah. and they were like they were like gesturing like like what's wrong I, I, i'm allowed to be here <laughs> is that um, coached? Then, but but they they also got like it must be yeah but they would also get super pissed off if we did anything of course like i think i forget who i forget who it was but it was i want to say it was bupenza um you know moved the ball right before uh right after a foul was called and wagner was coming over to take the kick or wagner was coming over to take the kick and Wagner just two hand straight shoved him. Right. Just shoved him down. And it's like, I, mean, I don't know. It, 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 but nothing was done about that. Right. It wasn't looked at. They would think, I think the ref wasn't even looking at the play there. But what was bizarre about um, this, this official was that, yeah, he doesn't do that when there's like in the open play, you're seeing contact like that. But Miazga picks up his yellow from a dead ball situation. Ball right. not in motion. Yerson Mascara on this PK gets an insane yellow card for jockeying for position yeah. on the edge of the 18 yard box. Shoved in, yeah. Just yeah. What? <laughs> so um, I did find a headline about um, Elfath uh, uh, having trouble um, uh, with the, with the players uh, uh, constantly shoving each other. Yeah. Uh, it's it's from uh, Broadway World. Oh, heard of them. Um, yeah, they're a bi- big week for them in the news. Uh, so referee Ismail Elfath instructs players to keep their hands to themselves, repeatedly reminding them this isn't Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> that video is incredible, by the way. Like, if you have. <laughs> If you haven't seen it, just Google Lauren Boebert Beetlejuice. It's <laughs> it's really really good. <laughs> there's there's multiple videos now. Yeah, oh, it's phenomenal. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought the uh, like the penalty was uh, fair. <laughs> like I don't know. There's not much you can do there. Like yeah, no, it was a penalty yeah, for sure. Yeah. If anything, um, I was we're lucky I was we didn't certain, get a red. Yeah, I was certain he. Well, it's goalie. Sure, but it's, it's a tackle. It takes a lot for yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I mean, I was certain he was he was offside live just because he had gotten so much space. Yeah, but it's for what what Chief described that um, Miazga wasn't keeping as high of a line as everybody, and I, I just didn't realize that he had kept. <laughs> Right. Guys dug on side or something or wasn't tracking with him. It is. It was crazy in the moment. It's one of those things where it's like when he gets the ball, he has so much space between him and the defenders. He has to be offside or you just worry about how we are playing defense. And now that's exactly what happened there. Super, super frustrating. I mean, I want to talk. I also want to say, too, that it was clearly a penalty. Yeah. 
Roman Celentano did not have a good first half either. He was the other person. If like Matt Miazga was person A of this was kind of a burn the footage first half for him. Person B was kind of Roman Celentano. His distribution his distribution was awful mm-hmm. in the first half. Multiple get, uh, balls played to no one. Uh, kicked the ball out of bounds a couple of times. This was very much first half of year one Roman in terms of his his distribution. I get that he's one on one. And he's left a little bit hanging out to dry on the goal, but you can't you can't foul like that after the shot's already gone away. He's already done the hard work. Right. He's already forced a bad shot by coming out to cut the angle down, and then cuts the man down and creates a goal scoring opportunity where he had already stopped one with the PK. Um, and then on top of that, I, I gotta ask. Um, do we practice PKs? So like, does our goalkeeping <laughs> coach practice? PKs do we do we do we spend any time fucking saving these things because I don't think we've saved a single one this year in any of the multiple PK shootouts we've had or any of the PKs that have been given this year it's been a really long time since we've stopped one of these fucking things and I'm just curious what is our goalkeeping coach doing do we do we practice this can we increase the amount of practice time we're dedicating you know, to this, I just anything, please. The scary answer to this is uh, our team might suck at taking penalties, and then Roman doesn't get good training. <laughs> so just, <laughs> it's like it's it's a compounding problem where nobody can offer up a, a good enough you know training partner for him. Like is the was, only per, is the only person shooting penalty though? It, it was. was good, but like. Fucking stop one. Like, do something I mean, special. But, for the love of Christ, like, once. Roman dove the wrong way, and he got to he got close to it. And if the ball had been any closer to the center, Roman would have saved it. Yeah. I think they said on the broadcast uh, he saved two last year. So we might have yeah. just two over the course of two seasons of these. One saves. against, uh, I believe, Salt Lake and one against NYCFC. I remember the Salt Lake one. Yeah. Good good time to mention though too that I know you didn't experience this Grayson because you were at the game but the commentary team for this game was outstanding just a level yeah. I was a little worried because I think the one guy is a was a former union broadcaster yeah, I know the color commentator was was color commentator for the for the union gotcha. well he was fantastic he was legitimately one like this may have been the most enjoyable Apple TV broadcast to listen to mm-hmm. just from a they offered actual tactical insight into what was going on and what the players were doing on the field, which I thought was illegal. I didn't think that I didn't think Tim Apple allowed that on his platform. Uh, we weren't treated to the same tired stories and narratives that you hear in every one of these games over and over again about yeah. the players. It was it felt like listening to an EPL broadcast. And that was the, that's the biggest compliment I can pay to two announcers in an MLS broadcast. Yeah, it was it was really nice. Like I I enjoyed it. Um, I can tell you as we were uh, leaving the plane, I just listened to the game like as a radio broadcast, and uh, they they did a fantastic job uh, describing the chaos that was the, f- the final few minutes of this game. Um, yeah, so second goal goes in for down two nothing, and it really looks like. This is going to be another one of those the the wheels fall off for FCC and we lose four well, to they, one and they damn near conceded yeah. a third one on a uh, on a goal kick yeah. situation where 
I don't know what the fuck Roman was doing on this play where ball goes into the box and all of a sudden he's down on his hands and knees in the middle of a scrum of eight people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, like Junior Moreno on the line. Bounced off of Moreno's chest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. But like you look and all of a sudden Celentano is like crawling. It's like, how the fuck do you get down there? What are you doing? And that was a Junior right. Moreno chest away from going in and being a completely blow, a complete blowout in the first half. Yeah, no, it was it was massive to get out of that half <laughs> where where it stood. Ultimately, um, it was I mean, FCC had their moments. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, those final five, ten minutes of that half were pretty rough uh even Haglin picked up a uh, a yellow card somewhere in there as well so we go to the half down to nothing I mean it's a wild game up to this point we're really missing Lucha it looks like one of those games where um I think it was uh Jonah on the Knifey Lion uh X account saying um you know Lucho cementing his MVP award here on this one <laughs> Oh, no, I think that like, you know, him being out and seeing yeah. what happened here in that first half, it's like, oh, yeah, he is incredibly valuable, it turns out, because the, yeah. the boat just doesn't go without him on the field. <laughs> right. I was like the uh, was it the Peyton Manning neck injury year where they had Curtis Painter for the year and and I think only won one game or, or yeah might have won two yeah uh, but it's like yeah you give Peyton the MVP award because with Peyton this was this was a playoff team and without Peyton they're they're picking first overall <laughs> yeah um, so yeah so we go into halftime and Ian Murphy comes on for Nick Haglin and the aforementioned. Aaron Bupenza subs in for Sergio Santos, and it is night and day with Bupenza on the field versus what was being offered up beforehand. I, uh, I'll i throw some more fuel on this fire, and uh, please shout me down. I want to be shouted down here. Uh, I won't go as far as to say it's my fetish, but I will say I would love to be told wrong here. Um does Bupenza have a problem with Lucho? Because a Lucho-less FCC with Bupenza, that's a hell of a Bupenza we got out there. I don't I don't know that we see that Bupenza with Lucho out there. I, I threw this out in the Discord. <laughs> Please, yes. <laughs> but um Do you I, believe I, it? I was suggesting and I, I think I do kind of believe it, at least short term, yeah. that it may be easier for Bupenza to go out and play as the the guy as the offensive star on the field and not have and only have to worry about you know doing whatever he wants to do and how he wants to play versus having to accommodate another star's game and figure out how they can work with each other and not you know, occupy the same spaces and, you know, n- not miss, you know, each, each other's intentions. Right. So right. Say th- there's only one ball controversy right here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it may be. I mean, obviously, the hope would be that you get them working together and on the same page and then they're better together than than either one would be individually. But. 
you know, I mean, but there, there's a lot of examples in sports of somebody being much more effective when they're the only alpha um, than having to share the share the ball. Yeah. Yeah. The NBA is rife with these types of examples where players get better when they move away from like Kevin Durant got a lot better when he moved away from Russell Westbrook. Like that's yeah. unquestioned, in fact. Um, honestly, I, I, I look at this as a, we got a recharged Bupenza who got to see his family, got to, you know, represent his country, got to, you know, get this trip off his, you know, plate. I don't know what he was thinking about this or how worried he was about having to return back for international duty. And it's this international window was looming. Everyone knew where it was on the calendar. And I don't know how he you never know how these sort of things weigh on a player's mind and right. getting this done, getting this trip done, seeing his family. Now, maybe his, it clears your mind and allows you to fully focus on the task ahead of integrating and playing well. I think not for nothing either, that if there was going to be a game that Aaron Bupenzo was going to shine in, it would perhaps be the one where the coaching staff is able to prepare him tactically for what the other side is going to do and that what the other side is doing is very similar to what he sees when he's in training. It's just our, it's our system. Like, right. So this, this was, you know, for, for Bupenza, perhaps this was, you know, mercy health training ground just with, you know, 20,000 more people there because it's the same type of tactical setup, the same type of play style that he's training against. And for a guy that hasn't been around this league and seen this league much, to the point where he can become familiar with the things that people are trying to do. This would be the one game where he should be very well prepared for what this Philly team is going to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, this is what the second game now with Bupenza that he gets off of an airplane on a short, short rest and immediately, you know, comes in as a sub super impactful scores a goal. Like, okay. So I, I figured it out then. So what they need to do, is that he needs to train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on Thursday or Friday, they've got to get him to the airport and they have to send him to some third destination, like the beach or Vegas, or just go chill out for a day and then meet us in this other city. Fly in it like one, get off your plane and meet us and drive straight to the stadium. Like he needs that 20, that little bit of buffer between travel and, uh, and training to where he is isolated, he can get in his focus, he can throw his his beats on and walk over to the stadium all badass away from the rest of the team. I love this idea. I, I Rack love up it. up some sky miles that'll be useless in the future. This is good. <laughs> I mean, on a, I guess, slightly serious note, but I, I don't know, maybe this is still too goofy, but like, I kind of love the idea of like we get to the 75th minute of a game and you sub out Lucho and Baji for Kubo and Bupenza. And all of a sudden we have like a brand new offense out there that just teams aren't ready for. And whatever, whatever was working up to the first 75 minutes, it's now a radically different game they have to play for the next 15 minutes. I, I mean, I like having another club in our, in our bag there, but like, I really want him to work with Flucho. We'd be unstoppable if they could work together. I'm just trying to think how you might game plan around it if it just doesn't work. Uh, I think it's gonna work. It's gonna work. 
I, I'm I'm I, everyone involved is too talented for this not yeah. to work. Yeah. No, it it will happen. And, and that that goal uh, for Bupenza, 49th minute, I, we've nicknamed it the Cincinnati play. It's the Cincinnati play, but with slightly different players in this one. It is Vasquez winning the ball in midfield and immediately dishing it out to Kubo, who makes the uh, the streaking run down the side, crossing to a uh, an on-rushing Aaron Bupenza, who smashes it home from four yards out. And... It works. We score one of these once a game. The players may be different, but everybody knows their role. And yeah, you, you talked about it before, Chief, with Kubo, you know, occupying different roles and floating around. It's interesting to see Vasquez winning the ball and, and Kubo being the outlet there. And it, it worked just fine. It was nice to see it work. Was was the second goal also arguably a Cincinnati play? I I mean, more I, of a more of a more of a direct. It was a bad pass, if I'm remembering the goal correctly. Philly makes a bad pass that Bupenza yeah. snipes in front of. Won the ball high. Won the he ball high. He doesn't go down the sideline really. Or he doesn't. He doesn't go to the end line. No, but really. he doesn't. He doesn't offload it. He gets the ball and then he. It's one touch into. Uh, it's one pass into Vasquez. He is between the sideline and the outside of the box, so he is definitely out on that side when he makes the pass. Yeah, I see mean, to me, yeah. To me, the Cincinnati play, the Cincinnati play is you have the facilitator who gets the ball to somebody out wide, and then the wide player yeah, swings it right. back in for a tap in. This one, yeah. Bupenza just wins it he wide. Is, yeah, the, the player who is the the facilitator is the Philly player that makes the shitty pass. <laughs> right, <laughs> who gets the uh, the official post assist of the game right there by getting the ball to Bupenza to but, a point where you can get the ball into Vasquez. Yeah. But what what a pass from Bupenza there though. So good. Like it is so inch perfect that Vasquez barely gets a touch on it to have it sort of awkwardly bounce into the goal finally. It, mm-hmm. it even had it was such slow motion that Vasquez, I feel like, was starting to celebrate and then had to turn back to like, I might actually have to see this ball go all the way into the net before <laughs> I go celebrate. And then was off to go celebrate. Um no, it was it's fantastic. It's a, and yeah. Two two goals in like a pretty short amount of time in this game to get back into it. And two goals that were set up by incredible passing um yeah. out wide. Uh low balls, because we don't score with our heads. Nope. We just don't do that. It's not not really our thing, <laughs> man. And um and good defensive pressure. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good defensive pressure, which is interesting because you would expect down two goals that it would be a lot harder for us to put Philly into those bad situations, Mm -hmm. that they would be a lot more content to play it long and force us to go all 99 yards to score the touchdown. But we caught them in in bad spots high up the field. Not really a Philly way that they want to play in this game. And so it was just, it was good overall hustle and pressure and tenacity to to create those opportunities. And it's, it's, it's fun to see this team fight. Yeah, and, and they, of, they they fought. Part part of that too is just the level of talent that that we have in those those players on offense. Yeah, like they have the ability to when they do catch Philly in those rare moments where you can win the ball high and get a transition opportunity, they are able to move quickly enough 
to react on it and punish them for it. Right. Um, and, you know, Bupenza being able to play such a nice pass, you know, Kubo being able to outrun the defender and Bupenza able to get away from his, from another defender and get, find uh, space in the box for himself. Right. Like, yeah, this, these, these plays don't, don't work without the, especially like, like these goals specifically do not happen with, you know, let's say normal MLS attacking players. No, like right. these are high compensation players making high compensation plays. Yeah, but it's also coaching too, and I yeah, don't want to. Sure. I don't want to lose sight of this idea as well. That part of the reason why this works and why this team has the ability to come back in games that previous iterations of FC Cincinnati just lacked. A, it's players. Um, like you said, these are very talented players, but there is a mentality with this team of that is direct attack, that when you get the ball uh, in advanced positions, they're don't pass around, don't mess around, don't set up, go directly for goal. And everybody knows, it's almost like in football, when the quarterback starts scrambling, there's the scramble drill that everybody knows what to do, get yourself open. When that transition happens from the turnover happens, on that first goal, Bupenza immediately starts to make his run right for net. Like he knows what he's doing. He is single-minded in that moment right there to get the goal, to get the space, to create the opportunity to to be in front of the the mouth of goal when the cross comes in. On the second goal, Bupenza gets the turnover and he hits directly route one. He is heading right towards the uh, the goal. And he, as soon as he sees the separation that Vasquez has, Mm -hmm. he's immediately playing and waiting the ball. There isn't a, hey, I'm going to take an extra touch or we're going to switch play. We're going to wait for a buildup. It's nope. Our best opportunity is right here, right now. And I'm going to make the play to try and take advantage of that opportunity. And that, that aggressiveness, that's coaching. And that's and that that idea of Vasquez knowing exactly where he's going, moving towards goal as soon as the turnover happens. Again, coaching. And that aggressiveness comes directly from that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean... Credit to Chris Albright and Noonan and the entire coaching staff for having a team now that is, I mean, so deep. Like, the guys coming off of the bench, and I mean, sure, this is probably my own bias, our own bias coming through here, but, like, being able to pull Ian Murphy and Aaron Bupenza in this case and Don Baji off the bench is incredible. Those guys are all starters on other teams. I mean, Bupenza is the starter on this team, but, you know, Powell and Gaddis as well probably have starting roles elsewhere in this league if they wanted them. This, this team is very deep and I absolutely love that for us. Uh, The last 10, 15 minutes of this game is a wild one. Yersa Mosquera picks up a second yellow card, a red card there, because, you know, MLS can't have us play a a full strength starting 11 for any one game ever uh, this season. So we will be without Mosquera. That was an awful, awful sequence. Yeah. Because for... For Yerson, but also I think for Miazga, because mm-hmm. it's Miazga plays the ball to Yerson when Yerson's not looking. Yeah, and so then Yerson 
it probably should have been looking, but maybe Miyazga also should have also should have been aware that I don't think he was particularly under pressure when he made the pass. Right. Um. So then, Yersin immediately is scrambling, right? Mm-hmm. And in the process of scrambling, because he wasn't paying attention when the ball was passed to him, he leads into making a very, you know, dumb, yeah, uh, foul. He just Which, asks to be pulled out of the game. And the other thing too is it just it it makes it all the more frustrating that he was given a yellow card in yep. a dead ball situation. Yeah jockeying for position on the 18 yard line that is it was an absurd card for him to get in that moment and it was entirely because the official felt like he was on the verge of losing control of the game miazga and other players had already been involved in some shithousery at that point and yerson got one first opportunity because he was just wrong place wrong time but even still you just you have to be smarter even if your first yellow was bullshit, it's still it's still a yellow card and you mm-hmm. still need to be smarter about things. And what's really tough about it, too, is that like at that point, I thought we were the favorite at that point. If one team was going to come away with three points, it looked like it was going to be FC Cincinnati. They were on the front foot. They were dictating tempo. And there was a sense, at least, that I got. Um, you can disagree with me if you won. I, it, Philly looked a little shell shocked that they had conceded two goals like that. They had been, I think they said in the broadcast, they were 10 and 0 this season at Subaru Park. Yeah. Uh, when scoring first. Yeah. They don't drop points there ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, it's one of those things, too, going into this game, you would have loved a draw, right? And, and I still love a draw, yes, for the record. This, yeah, I'm still very happy with it. It's one of those draws that does feel like a win. Um, well, it is a, th- it is a three point draw. Yeah, because um, we're not just thinking about our points. We are thinking about like. Magic number. Yeah. Shield standings counting. Right. Keeping Philly off of us. Yeah. Yeah. So us picking up a point and Philly not getting three for the win. That's three fewer points that Philly has available to them. Yeah. Right. To catch us. Um. In the standings, right. yeah, the, the point, yeah. the, the the points math on this is is crazy because it, it sort of jumping ahead a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was gonna like, say let's save some of this right, we'll talk for that, part two. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, we'll we'll do a little bigger picture uh, shield race update in part two. There, uh, this game does end with uh, Philadelphia also getting a double yellow red card situation uh, from the I, I guess I'll just call it the ninety third minute and the ninety fourth minute. Uh, they sub out Damian Lowe and then lose Jack Elliott. So they went from having three defenders uh, or three center backs in the back to just one in the matter of about a minute between the subs and the red card there um going into this one as well i don't think we mentioned uh bedoya out on a yellow card uh accumulation suspension as well uh lucho definitely more impactful to fcc than um bedoya has been to the union this season but um yeah just again Little, little peek ahead at the shield race. You don't mind Elliot being out. You don't mind having to play the Union, you know, this weekend without Bedoya uh, available to them. And yeah, I really think that this game ends with 
Philly having more of the momentum. Um, I don't think that they were planning on chasing with how they were subbing up to this point, uh, but they did apply plenty of pressure to FCC to see out this game. Um, I will ask. But, FC, yeah, but Cincinnati, Cincinnati, they playing with 10 men, you know, that kind of robbed them of the opportunity to go for this. Yeah. And you once once the 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 red card comes to mascara for the second yellow, that's it. You're mentally resigned. It's like a point is beyond cool. Just see this out. And I thought, you know, for the most part, competent defending, competent seeing the the match out. There were a lot of scary moments down the stretch. Certainly could have been a lot worse. Um, Yeah. Murphy. Yeah. Job will. Yeah, I was going to say, Murphy looked good. Um, I I will throw this out there, and Grayson, I feel like of any of us, you're more likely to have come across the reasoning why from one of the other reporters or the uh, post-game comments. Uh, Bupenza's subbed out in the 87th minute. He did come in at halftime. Pretty rare to see a substitute pulled before the end of the game. It was the 87th minute. It was a defensive substitution with Powell. I can understand it, especially given the red card that happened. I do believe Bupenza might have picked up a tiny injury on a uh, an attempted header there right before this. Do we have any update as to maybe why Bupenza was subbed out? Is there any injury concern? I didn't. I didn't see okay. any like that. Um but what I think is, you know, I think it's pretty clear that it was a we're putting another defensive body in there because we're down to 10 men. Yeah. Yeah. And we're trying to we're trying to keep the the draw. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it was Bupenza did exactly what he needed to do. He scores a goal. He assists another one. And it's an all hands on deck defending situation to see this match out yeah, and he of the players that we had that were attacking <laughs> players. I trust Baji and I trust, I think was Vasquez still on the field at this point yeah. or he been pulled off. No, he's, I trust Vasquez, the two, I believe was still on the field. Yeah. I, I trust the two of them playing defense more than I do. But Penza, you didn't spend money to bring Penza in to, to play defense. So yeah. get a defender in there. Vasquez big body gets up high. Both of them also, headers. Both Baji, also been in the system longer. Very physical player yeah. has even played further back you know for us hasn't he even played like right back in a game for us who is that dominic baji oh yeah yeah yeah. oh he definitely he definitely had to fill in at left or right back at one point uh last year though i don't think he's had to do that this year no i think i'm pretty i think it was last year yeah um was it the orlando game no, he was just he was that wide. I was thinking that uh, that iconic uh, assist where he uh, stiff arm annihilated, yeah, <laughs> annihilated Vasquez's head with the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sent, sent Vasquez into the concussion protocols. Um, yeah, I am uh, just keeping an eye on it because Bufenza still has not gone a full ninety for FCC, and obviously that was not possible tonight coming in as a sub. But uh, just uh, he did get hit. With a shoulder in his head. Yeah, no. And, and I was plenty of reasons to take him you off. Know, <laughs> I, I just, was wondering why it wasn't looked at as a as a penalty, I'll be honest with you. A penalty, at the very least, a potential concussion substitute, which MLS does participate in. Each team would get an additional sub if they wanted to make that call. So yeah. I do it is just a rarity in the sport where a guy is subbed on, performs very well. And is subbed off right, before the right. end of the match. Still, that's just 
talk about like fully embracing the have gun will travel journeyman life. You know, <laughs> flying on an airplane, come to the stadium, subbed on, subbed off, hop right back on an airplane and get the hell out of town. Score two goals. It's like uh, was it the Derrick Henry rule? Back in rural Alabama, his high school, when they were up uh, three touchdowns, they weren't allowed to give him the ball. I feel like we're getting the <laughs> Bupenza rule. It's like, all right, you've, you've drawn. You've got to take him off the field now. It is right. unfair. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, anything else about this game before we start looking bigger picture at this one? No. Happy with the result. Yeah. Solid, solid draw oh. overall. Please. Uh, Santiago Arias. Um, he is low key, pretty good shit Hauser. Yes, <laughs> that's that's that La Liga training coming out right there. Yeah, and he was he was really. I, I'm not sure they showed him after he got subbed off, but you know he'd really gotten under the stadium skin and some of the skin <laughs> of the Philly players, and he was feeling himself on the bench. Like he was like he was like high fiving like all the players and making like weird hand gestures. I didn't really understand, but like he was yucking it up. Like he was in. He was in great spirits and he had, you know, his little thing where he was walking slowly off. The ref said, go faster. He jogged really slow for a second and then stopped <laughs> and started walking. Like it, was, it was a whole, it was a whole, uh, performance. I love it. Oh, I absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I, the team did fine. And especially, you know, we, we talked about Philly scores their first goal in their house. They tend to win. Um, once again, just another example. And it's an example you don't like to see. Uh, but it exists, so I'm happy to see it now. Uh, FCC conceding first, conceding the first two and not losing their cool, battling back, staying with the game. Last year, that was the Achilles heel of this team. Earlier this year, that was the Achilles heel, Achilles heel of this team, and it does seem to be something that they have fully worked past and something that I don't think I will be worried about going forward or in the playoffs. So well, and to Grayson's well point, if you need like a player to be your favorite player on this team, that's a non-traditional choice. It should be Santiago Arias. Yeah. It's a fun one. The Colombian power couple that is Arias and his wife. Um yeah, just so Man, good. nice player. I hope I hope they I hope they bring him back next year. I mean getting a call You'd be up- foolish You'd be foolish not to if there's an option. I don't know what the number on the option is, but okay. As long as it isn't DP money, like <laughs> the, the 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 shift that he's put in this year, he's probably worth whatever the number is at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, basically agree. The only thing that would have me a little bit worried is uh, he was called into the Colombian national team. I don't believe he played a minute in their two games, but he was called in. Now, this is a guy that had been for all intents and purposes, out of soccer for two years with injury. I mean, he played a handful of appearances here and there, but had basically missed the last two years due to pretty devastating injuries. His play in MLS, and let's not kid ourselves, his reputation before that, got him a call-up back to the Columbia national team. Wouldn't be surprised if he got offers in Spain to have him come back. That's the only thing I, I know. The options have weird histories with the Court of Arbitration for Sport and whether or not players and their agents like to respect those existing. I don't think he would do I, anything, but I think that that is an overblown okay. <laughs> fear. Okay, good. I think I think that. Um, I'm I don't believe anybody has actually successfully challenged an option. Right. 
Um, the Red Bulls did win their arbitration against Kaku. Um, but not his and, playing time. <laughs> right, not his playing time, but, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, Kyle Lahren yeah. was threatening, but hey. the Shiktas still pay, paid a multi-million dollar transfer fee okay. for his services. He did not walk. Yeah. So I know people like to say... Yeah that the options are questionably um, legal or that, you know, MLS is scared that those are going to be challenged right. in the court of arbitration for sport. People make all types of wild claims about like MLS being like illegal <laughs> under like right. FIFA rules. Right. Right. Prove it. Right. Right. Like I prove it. Options exist in other parts <laughs> of the world too. Like it's but, not but, an obscure but if you, concept. If you're going to prove it, my advice to MLS is please hire better lawyers than you use for the immigration stuff. <laughs> if you go to the court for arbitration of sport, I am begging you find better lawyers. Sure. Um, just, you know, yeah. you would think there would be some example of it. Actually, of somebody's yeah. somebody, yeah. you know, like wiggling out of out of their option. Yeah. And there just isn't unless and even like Kaku, the only reason they thought he had an argument was there was apparently some confusion over whether the individual that Red Bulls communicated the option um, selection to whether that individual was actually a formal representative uh, of okay. Kaku. Santiago Arias has, I'm pretty sure, an agent who represents a lot of. Right. Big time players. It's not his dad or his uncle or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any confusion on this. Yeah. So I don't I don't think that that is a realistic concern. Cool. And if I'm wrong, <laughs> I'll admit it. But I'm not. I mean, and there will be no consequence <laughs> to any of us if you're wrong. Yeah. So FC Cincinnati will become famous globally if we are wrong about this with Arias trying to angle for a move. No, I mean. Yes. Okay. Option aside, I, I guess that would be my only question or concern about him coming back next year is if, uh, you know, the club doesn't try to do right by the player. Let me let me put it that way and uh, entertain him having an opportunity to go back to Europe versus staying in MLS. But um, yeah, no, I would absolutely future have us, him back. Future us problem. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a concern for January. Until then, uh, we'll, we'll keep on keeping we'll on make a two, We'll make a two-hour episode out of that when it happens, too. You betcha. Speaking of two-hour <laughs> episodes, should we get on over to part two? Let's. <laughs> Head on over to uh, part two. Now, we're going to look a uh, big picture, a little shield watch, a little table watching, and uh, part three, we will preview uh, in whatever time we have left in our, in our lives, the Montreal match on the midweek part two coming up this episode is also brought to you by Sensi Shirts. Look, you know Sensi Shirts. You love Sensi Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning, and we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here, and we have always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Sensi with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code ThePostSensi, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. 
if they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code, the Cincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. We are back and let's just say a draw, not ideal in the Shield Race. However, the Shield Race, as we see it right now, not bad. Wasn't a bad weekend for the uh, for the title hopes and dreams for the FC. Um, there is one little piece of this that is a little frustrating here, but I'll speak to specifically Philadelphia. They have a game in hand on just about everybody else in the top 10. Uh, maybe two games in hand, depending on who you're looking at. They've only played 27 games. Most everybody else has played 28. There are a handful of 29 matches played, but the top line here is FC Cincinnati is eight points clear of the team in second place. That second place team, sort of a surprise uh, name here if you've been <sighs> keeping track of the table the last few weeks. Orlando yeah. City and Chief. That loss. Yeah. That yep. loss. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> just because of the way the numbers work mm-hmm. on this is that if FC Cincinnati beats Orlando City, they are, what is it, 16 points clear of them? I think. Yeah, we'd be no, 14, po- 14 points clear Yeah, because they'd be on 57 and we'd be on 61. Like, 47. The yes. di- <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry. The difference between winning and losing that game yeah. is monumental. They are all they are effectively eliminated from the shield race. If we win that game, even if we draw that game. Yeah. Then then we're on what? 59 and they're on 48. And again, like they're or 49. They're 10 points clear. They're effectively eliminated from the shield race if, at that. If we win the Orlando, yeah. if we'd won the Orlando City game, we would have a 12-point cushion mm. in the shield standings with six games, with most teams having six games left, which would mean that, like, St. Louis, who would be second in the shield standings, would need it to out... We needed to outpace us over those six games by two points a game. Basically, you have to like, win every single would, game. Yeah, it would. Be, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they. Yeah, they basically would. Yeah. Right. They would be able to drop six total points if we lost. Every game. And yeah, that. Winning that game versus losing that game. I mean, having one that would probably clinch the shield two maybe three weeks earlier than we probably will like it it is truly a devastating loss ruin the home you know fortress record we would there. Have, yeah oh. yeah if we if we'd won that game i'm sure that there is some math where we could have had the shield wrapped up by the end of this week yeah yeah, yeah. it's rough <laughs> and then like they annoyingly like look i'm always in favor of columbus mm-hmm. losing but this was not the time I needed Columbus to just epically shit the bed. Like, <laughs> I think what were they? They were up three to one on Orlando in like the 74th minute, 73rd minute. Yeah. And they lost the game four to three. Yeah, basically. That's, 
a 3-3 draw of there would have been really nice. Would have been super nice. Yeah. It would have been super decent. Uh, I was looking at Orlando City's remaining six games because we're now into the point with six games to play. They are in New York City um, at City Field, I think, is where that game's being played because Yankee Stadium's in use. So they're in New York City against NYCFC. They are home against Inter-Miami. They are home against Montreal. They go to Nashville. They are home against New England, and they end the season against Toronto. It's mm. not murderer's row, but it's also not an easy schedule they find themselves playing. But N Nashville has been on the downswing. Hasn't won yes. a game in the last five. Yeah. And New England's in, in turmoil. Hasn't won yeah. in their last three. So yeah. for those two teams, which are otherwise, I would say... Pretty good. Those are really tough games. And they're still, they're still good teams. Don't get me wrong, right? But like... This is probably the best point in the season yeah. to draw those two teams. Yeah. Based on form and based on other factors. Yeah. St. Louis, too. I mean, you talk about teams taking a dip, uh, drew their last two, lost the one before that. Like, LAFC had lost three in a row up until uh, beating Galaxy and El Trafico last night as of recording here. Like, things were going our way for a lot of this stuff. And, yeah, New England is imploding in all levels of their organization from, from top to bottom. You've got players threatening boycotts. You've got coaches being promoted and fired in the same you know statement that Phil the club is releasing yeah yeah philly has the toughest road i think of all the teams that are sort of chasing us yeah they've got to play they're at charlotte but then they're home against lafc they've got a, a decent not great but they've got a decent fc dallas mm -hmm. um you know they're okay is that that's away sort of like to the dallas bottom. That's no, at home against ah. Dallas. Like, yeah, I know. Like Dallas is they're, they're they're not great, but not terrible. But they have to go to Columbus. They have to play. Uh, they're home against Atlanta. They're home against Nashville. They have to play at New England on decision day. So like mm -hmm. the teams they're playing are tough, but like they have a lot of them at home, yeah. which I don't love either. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I. I still, I, you'd still, what, what is it? You'd still rather be us yep. than, than chasing us. Oh, but, absolutely. But, and Philly, that's a tough, that's a tough schedule. Yeah. To, to finish the, like Charlotte's whatever, but. LAFC. Like said, LAFC, Dallas, Columbus, Atlanta. Yeah. Nashville, New England. Good. I know, you know, the caveats about Nashville's and New, Nashville and New England, where they are right now, notwithstanding, uh, those are all on paper, very strong opponents. Yeah. Um, Orlando gets Miami the Sunday before the Open Cup final. Mm. Um, that so sucks. I won. I wonder what Miami's. Yeah. But Miami's also, if they're serious about making the playoffs, like they're already going to have another game without their best player, um, Jordi Alba. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like. On the one hand, it's like, do, do they see some rotation before their cup final? On the other hand, they are not in a position to really say we can drop points this game. Right. Yeah. They're seven points off the playoff race. They have, they're one of the teams that have only played 27. So they have 
seven games to play to pick up seven points against DC United. There's a lot of teams in front of them, though. Yeah. A lot. One of the teams that plays us on that second to last uh, match week, that October 7th match looming large. I will say it would be really it would be really nice if they were mathematically eliminated from playoffs by then. I mean, it would be really really nice if they had nothing to play for in that game if nothing else i do think it is very possible if not probable that we will have at least locked the the shield up by that match uh fcc's next run of games i mean this is interesting too the last three games fcc has played now atlanta orlando philadelphia three of the better teams in the eastern conference we run this stretch with a win a draw and a loss Overall aggregate score four to four, not bad, not bad. All things considered, two on the two of those are on the road. Two on the road. So uh, the one loss though at home, unfortunately, which is a little yeah. frustrating. I will say we are rewarded with this schedule coming up. We have Montreal this Wednesday, and then Charlotte, Toronto, New York Red Bulls before going to Miami October seventh. Montreal, Charlotte, Toronto, New York. Hard to find a easier run of games before the end of the season. The problem is they do have to go. To, they go to Canada twice mm-hmm. in that stretch, so they're in Montreal, they're in Toronto. Um, Grassfield. You get the Red Bulls. <laughs> you get the Red Bulls and Charlotte at home. At home, Charlotte yeah. will be good too. They they are still very much alive in the playoff hunt. Um, you know, I I will look forward to the big brain takes that we want to lose to Charlotte because that will help keep Miami out of the playoffs. Um, <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, that that could be a good old good one. Montreal is still very much alive in the playoff race as well. But just in general, I don't I don't think these teams, Toronto in particular, are not very good. So, so if we're realistically next three games, let's talk about this in halves and three and three. Okay, I like Montreal, Charlotte, and Toronto. You win all three. You win all three of those games, and it's pretty much done and dusted. The best team that could be next to us is the the worst we could possibly be. Winning all three of those games, seven points clear with three to play. Where you're talking about. You basically have to lose all three of those games to fuck your shield up. 67 um, points would be enough to have won the supporter shield, I think, every year in MLS history, but like two. <laughs> like, yeah, like um, pretty every good. so Orlando, Orlando and Philly cannot get higher than 68. Okay, St. Louis cannot get higher than uh 64 oh i like that so 64 you eliminate st louis and then you know see if orlando and philly pick up every single point available to them the rest of the season yeah yeah (laughs) yeah the other thing too this is i i don't want to to mention this or get into this but this is the about the time I believe that we start talking that goal differential is not the first tiebreaker in MLS. Correct. And Philadelphia lost the supporter shield on this uh, tiebreaker last year, if I remember correctly. Because it, it's goals yeah. scored, right? Or no wins. It's wins, it's right? Wins, right? Overall yeah. wins and then goal differential and then goal scored. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the nice part about this, if there is a nice part also, is that we're sitting on 17 wins. So we're three wins clear. Yeah. In the tiebreaker as well. And it's, it's, I mean, you're talking about kind of an epic collapse if we don't. <laughs> so I, 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 we would it, not have the tiebreaker. If, if, if it comes to a tiebreaker, if these teams catch us, I'm yeah. pretty sure. I, I haven't read all those scenarios, but it's very likely that we, because it, it requires us to collapse and it requires these other teams to pick up basically, you know, pick up yeah. the vast majority of the remain, of the points remaining to them. Yeah. Yeah. You want to see the something? The... Oh, please. Good. Something weird about the table. Uh, Philadelphia and Columbus both have a better goal differential than us. <laughs> fun, fun yeah. losing those big blowout matches against DC and St. Louis really skews everything. St. Louis, by the way, with the best goal differential in the league at 18. We are at 14. Just the, nothing about that team makes sense nope. at all. Not a whit. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. So it's 68. 68 is the number we're looking at right here. Yeah. And what's the all time? But that's also assuming they win all their games, too, which right. I just I just don't. I just don't. If that happens, then I guess we deserve it to lose it. I mean, I will tell you right now, FCC will absolutely be their favorites for the next three, next four, probably. Um I think it would be a bad look to not win the next three. Montreal, Charlotte, Toronto. I think it'd be fair I think to be worried about the playoffs. Less than seven points would be. Yeah. Would be would I think seven points is is what you would want to expect. Yeah. Thing, out of the next three games. I think you need to beat Montreal though. And I know we'll jump into the Montreal preview here in a second, but like Yeah. You need that win to get back moving. They've now in their last two, they're a loss and a draw get a win, get back on, and you have to keep putting pressure on the teams below you. Yep. And every time you drop points, you open the window a little bit larger and let somebody believe. And mm -hmm. you just got to crush it. You've, you've just got to, you got to step on a throat right now. And this is, this is where, I mean, what's disconcerting a little bit is the team kind of shit the bed when the pressure got big last year down the stretch at the end of the season in that Chicago game, yeah, when they were at home, they needed a result, and it just didn't look pretty. Now, they came back, and they went, and I think, to, like, what, D.C., and they beat the Living Tar out of them, I think. But yeah, I think this Montreal game is a big game. I think it's a really, really big game, not in terms of it'll make or break, like, life, but, like, in terms of the shield, I will feel a lot if they win this Montreal game, I, I I would probably say at that point, I would feel very comfortable about us winning the Shield. If they don't win this game, I'm going to be nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a team that we expect to what, go far in the playoffs, win MLS Cup. I mean, if you're the supporter Shield champion, you should be the favorite to win the Cup, I would think, uh, if not one of the favorites to win the Cup. Yeah, and beating a team like Montreal that could very well be the first team we play in the playoffs, which is that annoying format, best two out of three in the first round, then single elimination, higher seed hosting after that. This could very well be a playoff preview, and we will have to win on the road, if not against Montreal, a team very much like Montreal, the same caliber team. So yeah, this is 
sort of a playoff preview in terms of what that first round could very well look like. So shall we talk about that game? I think so. Is there anything else we want to touch on? Uh, Grayson, remind me, what is the record for the overall points? Is it 73 was the best mark ever? 72. 72, 73 would be the new record. Okay. It's in range. <laughs> like it is very much on the table that FCC could could take that title. That Orlando game. No, it's, se- fuck it's 73. It is 73. Bad. Okay. That Orlando yeah, game is going to fuck us. Because it was confusing because there was, um, uh, it was like set like basically three seasons in a row. Right. Or three out of four years. Um, and it was like 71, 72, 73. So we would have to win five games. Yeah, if we win to tie. Yeah. And then tie the sixth, at least. Yeah, if we win out, we get 76 points. So it's going to be tough to smash. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right, Chief. I think the the Montreal game sent that out the window, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. I think we're still sitting pretty to beat the most points that Columbus crew has ever had in a season, which is, um, I think 64. it's like 63. Okay, yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll have that answer. Um, in a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? I, I agree, chief. Let's get over to part three. Let's preview this Montreal game. And in that meantime, I will let Grayson dig up that stat. So let's preview this match. All right, we are back. And Grayson, I am hoping that was enough time to dig it up. What is the most points? What are the most points uh, Columbus Crew have acquired in a single season? So uh, the most points that Columbus Crew have ever had in a season was 2008. Okay. Uh, when they won the Supporter Shield with 57 points. So now caveat to that. So we've already we've already beat okay, it. Good. <laughs> okay. Um, caveat to that is that was a 30 game season ah okay but we haven't played 30 games boom so nice we've already had a 28 game season that's better than there than any season the columbus crew have ever had wow um, the most for for those curious the most the crew have ever had in a 34 game season was 2017 when they had 54 points boom oh you love that this is phenomenal uh, this is great news. This is great news for segment three right here. We're rewarding <laughs> listeners that stick out late into the show. Grayson, I, uh, I will ask you this as well, uh, because you had brought this up previously, and I'm curious how close we are. Uh, how many years did it take for the Columbus crew to win their first piece of hardware? So I think it was their seventh season. They won the U.S. Open Cup. Okay. And we are in season five in MLS. Yep. So Columbus Crew won U.S. Open Cup their seventh season, and we are in season five. Wow. It's hard to think we've been in so MLS for five faster, seasons. <laughs> faster to a trophy if, the, if we get the shield. I love this. I love, I love this. that. <laughs> so remember, folks, our talking points... When, they, when and if it happens, right? <laughs> Better season the Columbus crew has ever had. Yes. That's already wrapped up. Done. Two, 
faster to a trophy in and especially that's that's especially more uh, impressive because MLS is a real league now. Yes, they're not playing uh, whatever it was. The Dallas burn seven times when, when the crew started. <laughs> there was there were six teams in the league and they were all owned by. Paul Hanschel, uh, Lamar Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. And it would be like, you know, Carlos Zambrano running around with a bunch of kids making $15,000 a year. Right. right. <laughs> Not Carlos Zambrano, Carlos, Carlos Valderrama. Yeah. Carlos Zambrano. I was about to say, what, the former Cubs pitcher that was a psychopath? Yeah. Carl, Carlos Valderrama. <laughs> yeah. I would pay to watch Carlos Zambrano play soccer, though. I think that would be incredible. That would be incredible. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Cincinnati, I mean, we can get excited about this one. I think this is a fun fact about this game. Uh, playing at Montreal this Wednesday. This marks our second to last Wednesday game of the season. You hate you hate to see the midweek games go away, but we will only have one more for the remainder of this season. Um, I like going back to this, too. Uh Never change Montreal, Cincinnati. These are typically the most wild games in MLS, especially for FCC. Ever since the uh, the league restarted after the pandemic, we've only had one goalless draw between the two teams. Uh, but the games have previously gone FC Cincinnati winning two to one. Montreal winning five to four. I'm going to skip the draw. Montreal winning four to three. Montreal winning four to three, and then FCC winning three to nothing. Uh, whatever the uh, the over under is on total goals for this game, safe bet to go over <laughs> with these teams. This is usually a goal full uh, experience. I don't know. We we will have Lucho. We will not have Yerson Mosquera, but that does mean we will have Ian Murphy in all likelihood stepping up. Um, Montreal is missing one player. I was trying to dig this story up and I can't find it. I am not going to. Mako Malievic. Yeah. Who we we mentioned on the last episode. Kevin, you may have not uh, gotten to that point in the episode, but I got 48 um, he, minutes into the last episode. He, he did is, not come up. <laughs> he is he is out of the team. Okay. He, I, th- I believe that that I saw that news today. Yeah, yeah. he's, well, he's got plenty he's, of time to work on his rec league, I guess. His contract has been canceled for again. While he was unsatisfied with not getting a lot of playing time, he joined a Quebecois uh, men's amateur league and was under a alias <laughs> and was uh, kicked out of that league permanently for punching another player in the face. So good. Uh, and again, apologies if you already went into this. I believe he left his team in Argentina for similar reasons. It was some version of violent conduct or playing for an unsanctioned team that uh, had him leave his prior team before Montreal as well. So yeah, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a U.S. men's national team fandom legend. Oh, because he's a U.S. Argentinian dual national and he was like (laughs) a teenager playing professionally in Argentina right and it was like nobody knows anything about this guy except that he's He's eligible uh, got American he's American eligible (laughs) and he's playing professionally in Argentina as a teenager bring him in so it was yeah (laughs) um so then when he went over to Montreal I think there was 
a lot of interest and um i do, i do i don't remember the exact circumstances in argentina but i do remember it was not a very uh friendly uh yeah ending yeah i think the team was happy to see him go and i it's about as specific as i can get uh which is never a good sign when the team is happy to see uh a player leave um yeah we will have lucha back for this game Ideally, Lucho, Bupenza, Vasquez starting in this one. Um, other than that, I mean, what else is there to say? Montreal is in a playoff position for the time being. They would be playing in the play-in game should the playoffs start now against DC United. Uh, they they've, do- been a, they've been a they've been a mixed bag yeah. since the league restarted after the League's Cup. They beat Toronto on the road. They beat New England at home, but then they lost to NYC FC on the road, lost to Columbus at home, mm-hmm. and just had a home draw against Chicago. Chicago's not good. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, they're they're they have the capability of, of of beating a team at home. They play decently at home, but this is a team that FC Cincinnati on paper, even missing Gerson Mascara in this game on a card suspension, um. This is a team FC Cincinnati should beat, and this is a team FC Cincinnati should expect to beat um, in a playoff format. Yep. They should beat them in a play and with, with everything to play for that they have on the supporter shield. This is a team that on talent, on paper and based on results that they should go and they should expect to get three points on. And that's a weird that's weird for me as an FC Cincinnati fan to be to say that, that like, yes categorically it would be a disappointment not to go on the road and get these three points yeah yeah like like we said in the last segment this is you know this is a preview of what this first round of the playoffs will probably look like if it's not miami it'll be a team like montreal and yeah the expectation is you got to go on the road and win these get out of that first round that weird i feel i feel like romel kyoto mm-hmm. always always gives us trouble for whatever reason, yep. it's just a. I agree with everything Chief said. It's just Montreal is a team that I'm always going to worry about that game. Same. Uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what their form is or where they are in the standings. Yeah, I will. I will note this though, and I'm the pessimist on the podcast. I'm the sky is falling guy on the podcast. I embrace my role. More people need to hear things are going wrong in their life. I think too many people live with rose-colored contacts and attached permanently. Um, We spent the entire last segment talking about standings, table watching, where we need to go. I want to put this out there into into the ether as a relax. So FC Cincinnati has six games remaining. They play... Uh, on the road for one, two, three of those, they play home for three of those. If, if you follow the standard MLS mantra of draw your road games, win your home games, drawing your road games, including this Montreal game, um, and winning your home games gives FC Cincinnati 70 points. That's a mathematical supporter shield. It may come down to the wire if you do it that way, but... <laughs> At the end of the day, you're winning supporters shield, drawing your road games and winning your home games. You steal points on the road. You win games on the road. You increase your margin for error elsewhere. 
But the important thing in this game, I think you should expect to win. But if you go on the road and you draw Montreal on the road, it is not the end of the world. You are on pace to win shield even with the draw. What FC Cincinnati needs to avoid, and they need to avoid it by any means necessary, is you cannot lose games going forward. Mm -hmm. You need to be getting points and moving up the standings and moving up towards the magic number of 68 or whatever that number adjusts to based on how Orlando, Philadelphia, and Philadelphia basically, because they're the two that we're, we're running with right now. It's Orlando and Philadelphia that we're, we're in competition for the shield with. Whatever that number adjusts to based on how they drop points, FC Cincinnati always needs to be moving forward towards that number. And if it's a point on the road, it's a point on the road. You're still on pace if you do that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Chief, in case you were wondering, win your home games, draw your road games, that gets you 68 points in a 34-game season. So we would be right there if we could just pull that off. That would be a, uh, a lovely point total to hit. Uh I don't normally do this, but I'll give you one uh, a player to keep an eye on. Uh, number 10, Bryce Duke for Montreal. I only bring this up because he is the guy that Montreal gave Miami all of their gam for. And so you can you can judge with your own eyes whether or not he was worth turning Miami into a super uh, superstar team for his services. I think I think there's an argument. <laughs> That he's the most expensive internal MLS transfer of all time, and he because he was like cost one the point, league its soul. It was like <laughs> one point three million in gam plus thirteen Miller, pieces of silver. Who's a Canadian national team center back? Who's transfer market value? I'm sure is is two million in the seven figures. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he came off. To, to, uh, he's a player who I believe was trans was transferred to Miami for in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand gam. Yeah, one season before. Um, Quite the glow up. This, you know, somebody who's who's um, you know more more let's say more conspiracy conspiracy minded than than I am might suggest that. This is essentially money laundering <laughs> $1.3 million in GAM and a good defender to Miami to make up for the, the penalty that they, <laughs> some of the restrictions they were under in, in, in bringing players in. And when but you say something more, saying that. when you say something more conspiracy, conspiracy minded than you might say that, it's me. Right, I'm so saying that. I will say I'm that, the yeah. one saying that. I will say that. <laughs> I do like the idea of laundering something that is not actually money. <laughs> like MLS does need to play by their own stupid theater rules where like but you need to give um you need to give Paul Tenorio <laughs> something that he can tweet. Right. In defense of right. the player acquisitions. You can't just rest on we don't tell you how much GAM teams get. Yeah, trust me, bro. And we did really penalize right. uh, Miami, you know, all that all that GAM. <laughs> there has to be something that, that folks interested in defending the transfer window can point to. Right. To say. The, ans the answer can't be a wizard did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Brace dude. Because it's, you just need to give people, it, it's like one of those things where, 
you just give you, you just give people a something to 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 paper it over a little bit, yeah. right? That like you can point to, like, oh yeah, buy them down, just bought them down. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, but as long as there's something to say, right? Yeah, there's so much of the other details are a secret that all you can respond with is like, yeah, it still seems suspicious to me. Yeah, but whatever. The con it's the conspiracy <laughs> theories will be there regardless. You just need to convince the normal people not to jump into their to their side with this. So yeah, I j I just love that Kyoto and Duke both came off of the bench in the 76th minute of their last game. So in my opinion, the two best players, uh, I don't know the exact reasoning why against Chicago. Maybe they are coming back from injury. Uh, maybe Bryce Duke is maybe not that good of a player. Hmm, that'd be a suspicious thing. Um, but just not not getting the uh, the starting run out with their team so there you go uh chief let me ask you this one what do you predict this game ends with score wise uh 2-1 fc cincinnati the mls clean sheet i like it i was thinking a little crazier grayson do you have a different score line in mind i would Let's, you know what? Four to two, FC Cincinnati. That's where I was going to go. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> well, then I will go three to one, FCC. I think if you're not predicting four goals in this game, what are you predicting? Um, no, this There's is. Big, there could be big two two energy in this game, too. There could be two two energy. Two two would be. I'm, st I'm staying with two one, okay. but two two would would not be surprising. Is it a two two that feels like a win or feels like a loss? There's very different versions of two two. Feels like a loss. Okay, well I don't like it's that. Mo it's Montreal. It's not going to feel good, <laughs> and it's going to be very condescending and in French. Yes, we oui, we oui. Montreal. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking because people talk about how expanded playoffs like don't make the regular seat make the regular season less meaningful. And I know that we have, you know, an eight point um, <laughs> lead in, in the shield race. Yeah. But like you go back and you think about the ways that they've picked up points over the course of the season, you know, coming back against Red Bulls, coming back against Atlanta, coming back in Chicago. Back, yeah. Coming back against Chicago, getting a draw there, getting a draw against New England at home, getting a draw against Philly yeah. uh, this weekend. And you know, you just think about like how if 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 a couple of those things don't don't swing our way, we're in a much different position on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it just I think it just shows that like if you're if your ambition is to win this league, there are no points that you can drop. Right? I mean, yeah. there's no points that it was okay to drop those points. No. Because you hindsight, need to get no. You need to fight and scrap for every point you can get. And I think anybody who thinks, you know, early season games don't matter just because a lot of teams make the playoffs. I think that's a low ambition yeah. person. Yeah. I mean, you've got Montreal, D.C., Chicago, Charlotte, kind of, sort of, New York and, and NYCFC, like all in the playoff hunt. And like... I don't know if the shield is the only thing that matters. In pro rel season, they wouldn't be playing for anything. They wouldn't. No. Be, they wouldn't have been playing for anything for a while. But you know, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, that's, 
Right. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, that kind of like it all fucks us right now. Because right. instead of going to a Montreal team that's playing for pride. Right. To pick up points like, fuck, Man City has it easy. They play all these teams down the stretch to wrap up their title. Where right. They're not playing for shit. We have to play these teams that are still hunting and scrapping for playoff positions or to make the playoffs. This blows. And, and, and in yeah. Europe, they had to reverse engineer playoffs and expanding the playoffs to give these to give more teams something to play for. Right. Yeah. right. Like there's like the, now we have this Europa Con- conference league. Yep. Right. The conference league. They yeah, they, they're they doing this already. They're, they're talking about re rechanging it or changing up how maybe the league's cup works over there for them or the uh, the league cup. Sorry. Works for them. And yeah, if the shield was the only thing that matters, this season was over a month ago for every team not named Orlando, Philadelphia and St. Louis. Like. If that's and New the, England until they they right. they self detonated a nuclear bomb inside their facility. But like, if that's the only thing that matters, we've been holding on to something in the range of a seven to ten point lead for like the last two months. This league is super boring for everybody else. I think we had an eight point league lead at when they took the break for for League's Cup. Yeah, I think it was exactly eight points. Yeah. And Nashville was the one yeah. right behind us back then. Right. <laughs> now they're in seventh in the East. Um, I have a yeah. weird I have a weird thought, too, about how the season might go. It's kind of, I don't want to put it out in the universe. Do it. So Fuck Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not putting it out there. I like Fuck it. Fuck Columbus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, you've made it to the end so i'm going to assume you liked it or you just can't reach your stop button please like us review us subscribe to us wherever you are getting your podcast that is going to be really really helpful but more importantly share this with a friend a personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further so please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an fc cincinnati fan an mls fan somebody that you think would enjoy this pass it on over Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.